Turkey hunting is one of my favorite things. And one of the key tools I use for turkey hunting is the Onyx Hunt Map. I use it incessantly when I'm hunting turkeys. Being able to find a new piece of public or gaining permission on private opens up opportunities for gobblers. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you this spring. Use the code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt. You'll find more birds this season. I'm telling you, I rely on Onyx Hunt when I'm hunting turkeys. It is an invaluable turkey hunting tool. Hey, I'm excited to share our newest sponsor here on the Meat Eater Podcast, which is Poncho Outdoors. The reason I'm excited is I buy their shirts anyways. Dude, they make some good shirts. And they even have an option where if you're like a skinny dude, you can click like the skinny dude thing. It's great. Based in Austin, Texas, Poncho is committed to crafting the world's best outdoor shirts for men. Poncho is only sold on their own website. So head over to ponchooutdoors.com, use code MEATEATER, for a free hat or t-shirt with any purchase of a shirt. Poncho offers free shipping and returns, so you can try them out risk-free. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by First Light, creating proven, versatile hunting apparel from merino base layers to technical outerwear for every hunt. First Light, go farther, stay longer. All right, everybody, we're here at Doug's Farm. As promised. If you're a very astute listener and you listen real careful, you heard a long time ago when we had Ya Yang on to talk about Hmong culture. Did you get the shirt made, Hmong Dudes Are Trouble? It's in progress. Okay. Ya Yang was on top, and I uh, thought I was giving Ya the the gift of all gifts (laughs) by inviting him. I didn't tell Doug, and Doug, Doug didn't know until he listened to the show. That I invited Yah and his daughter, Michaela, to come for youth turkey season at Doug's place. Did you feel insulted when I did that? Or not insulted, but out of the loop? No, it was, it was actually pretty funny because uh, I started getting text messages from friends who listened to the podcast, podcast sooner than I did saying, so I guess you're going to have some extra turkey hunters next year. And I was, what am I talking about? What are you talking about? And then I get a text from you going, hey, uh, have you listened to the podcast yet? I <laughs> know. <laughs> well, I kind of invited a guy. I was like, oh, well, that's nice that you, I, I'm, I was actually flattered that you felt comfortable enough to invite somebody, especially for that season. And uh, uh, and it was fine. No, it was, but I wasn't insulted by it at all. You're not annoyed. No. You and said it, to me once, um, I was about, of course, it was about my farm, and because I we were doing something, we were filming or something, and I was like, "Oh, hey, by the way, I got a couple of friends coming, and you, hell, you invite whoever the hell you want. It's your damn farm." So it was sort of that extension. Of that. No, I was I was happy that you did it. It was cool. And here we are, you turkey, 
Another youth turkey season come and gone. Skunked. Skunked. Well, yeah. Last year on the first day of youth turkey season, we called in, like without really trying that hard, six long beards, six rope draggers, (laughs) two youth hunters tagged out. By two o'clock in the, or three o'clock in the afternoon. Nothing left to do but burn ditch. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> Nothing it. left to do but and burn. And visit the spring and burn you know. ditch and, and drive, do my favorite activity, which is drive around with Doug and have him tell uh, stories of interactions with people. <laughs> but hunted, how many hours did your daughter spend in the turkey blind with, uh, with Pat s- Durkin here? I want to say it's about 18 or 19 hours. <laughs> <laughs> In two days. In two days, yeah. yeah. It was nine for sure the first day. And it was about the about exact same. same. Yeah. Yes, um, Good yesterday. Lord. Yeah. The difference in, well, they were burning ditch and t-shirts last year. And it snowed last night this yeah. year. Yeah. Yeah. The birds are just not fired up. But I have photographic evidence of there being plenty of birds around and you being in the same area where the birds were, but just not at the same time. Yeah. This is good. So I'll, I'll lay, I'll detail this out. Um, we, me and my older boy go out for the daybreak thing. We go out to a blind at a place called the Naval where the other day we logged the first, like every, I got to back up. If you imagine the earth as a beach ball, <laughs> Doug's of all the whole planet, the place where you would blow air into that beach ball is located on Doug's farm. Ah. Or if the earth was in its, in its infancy being formed inside its mother's womb, this is on Doug's farm. That's like the earth is a baby. On Doug's farm is where the umbilicus attaches. That's why it's called the navel. I never thought about it like that. Everything, everything passes through the navel. <laughs> that is very true. <laughs> everything very passes true. through the navel. I'm sitting there with my boy the other day. We're like sitting there looking at a field in hardwoods. And here it comes running by. Running by is a river otter. <laughs> like... Through Doug's field is a river otter. He was drawn by some mysterious magnetism to run through the navel. Sitting there last night, here comes two dogs. <laughs> Those dogs Just are still dead a nuts to right through the navel. <laughs> they are a mystery to me where they came from. If you hit a deer with a bow and you track it, it will pass through the navel. <laughs> it's like you can save yourself a lot of time. Just go to the navel and pick up the blood trail there. <laughs> That's it like. Everything passes through there. It's the it's the beginning of the earth. It's where when they breathed life into the earth, that's where they breathed it. D- didn't you see a mink in that same area? Yeah, yeah. I saw a mink at the navel trying yeah. to drag a squirrel out of a hole in the tree. <laughs> I mean, that wasn't really the navel, but it was within a hundred yards of the navel. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe that's I might a little ways from the navel, but not far from the navel. Just up the hill from it. Yeah. So in the belly area. You want to hear some screaming. But what was weird, it was the mink screaming. Huh. You know, they got a very shrill. The mink was trying to fight his way into a squirrel hole 
and there was a squirrel trying to defend its territory, and the mink was freaking out. Huh. Yeah. Anyhow, so me and my older boy go out to the navel in the morning, and there's a bird roosted behind us. And my little boy was like adamant that we come get him at breakfast. Come get him at breakfast. Yep. So we sit there till 7.30, and I'm thinking he's going to be up, and Doug's going to want to go out with my daughter, and, and I better go get Matthew. So we leave, and Doug's got a camera at the navel. We leave, and at 9, this long beard shows up at the navel on Doug's camera. Yep. So Doug gets the camera. He gets the photographs, what, every 12 hours? Every 12 hours, yeah. So we go back out and we call before going to the navel. We call down into the navel and he returns. He gobbles and return million times. We work him. Nothing. He eventually shuts up, and moves off. So we sneak into the blind at the navel, set up. Pretty soon, Matthew is very concerned about how <laughs> he needs to go have lunch with Doug's daughter, Eleanor. And, one, and you can tell he just wants, he thinks that there's people back here playing, having fun, <laughs> opening like Easter presents. I don't know, but he's just committed that he's got to get back. He's got to get back. So I'm like, oh my God. So we leave. And then at noon, we leave like 11, 1130. Yeah. At noon, that long beard standing <laughs> at the navel. Me and Jimmy go back out circle around and call and there he's just hammering another thousand times from the navel working as close as we can can't budge him and he eventually just drifts off wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really was maddening and then over here uh behind the barn up on that point up there where you guys started out uh or you went up there one other time yeah. too and and same thing you left there and later that day there were turkeys there our CEO, Dan Chumbler, mediator CEO, he's going to turkey hunt a friend of mine's place this spring. And I said, I'm going to tell you something that you won't do. But if you did it, you will kill a turkey. But no one does it. And everyone knows it's true, but no one can bring themselves to do it. I said, I will show you two spots where if you lean against a tree <laughs> and stay there for the three days that you'll be hunting, you will kill a rope dragger. Yeah but you won't be able to do it because there'll be some bird. And you got to go after him. And you'll leave and then you won't be there when it comes. But there's a lone, there's a, you'll like this, Doug, a lone oak ah. out in the middle of a field and every day multiple gobblers have to go by that oak. I don't know why. And there's another place which is like a, pass, a, a passageway between two paradises. And every day, multiple times, long beards walk through there, but no one can. No one will just sit there. I can't do it. Yeah, well, because I'm sitting there and. Yesterday afternoon, uh, when Rosie and I went, and Matthew went with us, and she goes, and Doug, I don't want to just go sit in a blind. I want to walk and call. And it's like, she's got the gene, man. She's nine years old or eight years old, whatever it is. She already she, knows sitting for socks. <laughs> She likes to run and gun. Yeah, she's yeah. That's a uh, eight years old, right? Yeah. All right. Seated next to oh, we, we didn't we didn't probably Pat Pat Durkin's here. Thank you. You know what's always confused? This is, you, you, before we turn the machine on, you were saying something that that caught my attention. Where Pat Durkin, Doug Dern, 
There's room for confusion there. Mm-hmm. But you said you just found a book, a deer hunting book written by someone named Doug Durkin. Yeah, some, some guy that follows me on Instagram sent me a, a, just a little note saying, are you, are you related to Douglas Durkin? Maybe Doug's related to him. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you, there's so many derivatives of Durkin, and there's Durgen, like the, the G. Then there's, uh, we always thought maybe there's something with Durkin and Duren, but the, Duren's German, right? Right. Yeah, right. so it's not. Oh, not, you're German. I'm German. I'm half German. Well, when I was saying all that bad stuff about you guys, you're not going to knock you on your ass, but oh. I thought, well, <laughs> I thought he doesn't know. Yes, Durin. Yes. So I, thought, I was telling Doug, I, was, yeah. I don't know if you read much about the late 30s and 40s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so I, well, I people I, left <laughs> way before then, I have to say. I went online, found that book. So it hasn't come yet, but I'm, not, I'm looking forward to reading it. Oh, he's sending you the book? No, I, I looked it up on Amazon. Found oh. it, yeah. Boy, Doug Durkin. No, Doug Durkin. It's like if you and Doug had a baby. And that baby grew up to write a book about hunting. Yeah. Cool. Maybe maybe we should update it, and you and I can and uh, with can a forward. Yeah, it should be with a forward, forward. by Doug Dern and Pat Durkin. <laughs> uh, seated Sounds next, to, seated next to Pat Durkin is my son James, who's just going to join us for a minute here. Now, Jimmy, I'm going to uh, listen. I told you, no smart ass <laughs> comments. You got to shine because here's the thing that you need to be. I've told you this before. Remember how I don't like you like. We don't want you on social media. Yeah. Because you might screw up and it comes back to haunt you later, right? You've told me that many times. Okay. So keep in mind that you're now possibly, you're making your first, this is your, this is true. This is the first trackable thing you will ever do in your life. Do you understand what I'm saying? Meaning something you say now will forever be someone will always be able to locate this and this is the first thing you've ever done like that except when we were ice fishing <laughs> i was on that oh sorry <laughs> did i tell you all this before that no okay i'm gonna ask you some questions and i want you to give me very specific <laughs> answers with no smart assery okay okay tell people how you have war paint on your face and how you made that war paint um, so we have a, like a Mr. Heater, little buddy, like heater that we had in our, um, turkey blind. Mm-hmm. And I got really bored when the action slowed down for a little bit. Um, and just took a stick and started whittling the tip, um, and stuck it in that heater flame until it was like, had embers on it. And then I scraped that off and. And my dad made war paint. You reinvented the pencil. Yeah. <laughs> Except the charcoal. You know, now. It's pretty clever. Uh, what was I going to ask you next? Oh, explain the set of circumstances that happened the first time we started Doug's little buddy heater up. <laughs> um, There was a mouse in the mouse. A mother mouse had made a nest inside of it and i remember asking you is it supposed to be smoking well <laughs> <laughs> well first the mouse what what happened with the mouse oh. it ran come out booking out of there when i tried to light it uh-huh and then it started smoking like oh holy hell <laughs> and then we cleaned it out and had it Here, here's my next question you're doing good so far okay do you prefer 
hunting turkeys from a blind or doing what we call running and gunning? I like running and gunning. Why do you think that is? Um, Because I feel like there's more action. I feel like if you call one of the blind, it's just a lot of sitting. And then when you're running and gunning, you're up in the woods listening and moving around. And it seems just a little more active and more enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Here's my next question for you. <laughs> you feel that you're somehow undergunned having a pump action shotgun and you feel that you need to have an auto loader. Can you explain that to people? Um, so it's, <laughs> it's not so much with turkeys, but when I duck hunt, it seems to be that like Harrison, our neighbor who has a semi-automatic, uh, shotgun, he can, um, like just shoot, get many more shots off. And gets more let seems out. to be, yeah, seems to, I don't know, just kind of outperform me with a pump because if I have a bad adrenaline rush, I forget to reload. So then I'm thinking uh, from watching you, thinking that it's just another shell loaded in and that I can just shoot again. Okay. Mm. If you had, this is your last question, unless you got anything you want to add or, or Doug or Pat or yeah, I might have a question for you. Okay. If you um, had to rate your father's ability to hear gobbles relative to your ability to hear gobbles, <laughs> What would you say? Out of what? Huh? Out of what? No, relative to yours. Oh, um, decent for your age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because Pat, he's got hearing aids. Can you set those to like gobble mode for listening? I to- try, and it doesn't make a big a difference. Really? Yeah, I, I can I can hear better. I can hear him better, but still, compared to like yeah, yesterday and the day before. He's picking out distant gobblers I never heard. Got it. Yeah. My favorite, one of my favorite hunting stories, and Jimmy, you can help me tell the story. We were right. sitting at the Naval last year, late morning, and, and what happened? Um. So my dad did like the first, we sat down and I like always do is beg my dad to call just to see if we'll get a response from anything. And, and I call- say what? What do I usually say why I'm not doing it yet? Um. Letting things quiet down. Yeah, where we walked in there and might have spooked some things out of the area. So just letting things mellow. Yeah, and I'm like, Dad, call, call. And he's like, okay, fine. And does one, I'm like, there's a gobble. And he's like, no, there's not. I'm like, there is a gobble. And he calls again, and it the turkey gobbles again. And then there's it's followed by two more. And I keep saying, like, there's a turkey. there. I can hear it gobbling. And my dad... Like just keeps telling me no, no. At no, this point, he's no, telling me no. it's getting closer. I'm like, what in the world are you talking about? <laughs> there's no turkey. He said there's like no turkey. Um, and he calls again, and he's like, "Was that a gobble?" I'm like, "Yes, that's what I've been telling you for like five minutes." And next thing we know, there's three turkeys, three big turkeys running in, and they all fan out. And I think the coolest thing I saw with those turkeys is when the front one put its fan out and the other two put their fans out and the turkey turned around and looked at him and they put their fans back in and just walked behind him. <laughs> yep. Jimmy oh, shot really? that one. Oh man. And then I, I, he had a shot and he wouldn't shoot because he was waiting for the he's waiting for the boss Tom. Yeah. And then he got the boss Tom. Can I Oh you got a question for yeah. him? Yeah. Jimmy, can you take a couple more questions? Yeah. I'm done with you. Yeah. Okay. How how good is your dad compared to you on picking the direction the call's coming from? Better. He's better? I'm better. You're better. Um, Once I hear it, I know where it is. Yeah, it's when he hears it, but when it's far off, I seem to be better. That might also be because 
when it's super far off, I seem to be the only one who can hear it. Hmm. So it's hard to argue with them. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. Jimmy, you told us after dinner last night that if you you could hunt one species the rest of your life, it'd be turkey. Why is that? Um, Because I feel like with turkeys, it's kind of like they're just kind of wild in an unimaginable way where it's like they're never you never see a turkey just laying down in the brush like you never see one hidden or trying to get like out of being a turkey like they're just always on the move they're always feeding they're always like at night when there's i just learned this yesterday they incubate their eggs all night and that's how a lot of turkeys, a lot of female turkeys die. And it's like... Because they got to lay on the... They got they can't go in their roost tree. Yeah. So it's like... It just kind of goes to show how like... They're just... They're so strong in a way where it's like they know what... They have a very good mindset on like what needs to happen and when it needs to happen and what's the right time for breeding, and if they're supposed to come and do a call. Like, when you're hunting turkeys, it's not like you go out there and just see one. It's kind of like you have to almost trick the turkey and manipulate them into coming into your call. That's right. That's a good answer. Yeah. yeah. Very good. I like You that. haven't said anything that's going to keep you out of getting into college or anything yet. All right. Yeah. Well, let me ask you a question and see if we can get that to that point. <laughs> So you said that you preferred running and gunning to sitting in a blind. Which have you had more success with? Hmm. Um, equal. The equal, but I'd say the one that I definitely had more fun with was running and gunning hmm. because that was like we saw two snapping turtles breeding and then it was like we just got to see a lot more than yeah, sitting in a blind. Yeah, we're walking along. We're actually working in on a turkey and I see a turtle. It's a big, a big snapper. And I tell Jimmy here, I'll show you how to sneak up and grab a turtle. <laughs> and when I jacked that turtle turtle out of there, what what was he doing? Oh, uh, there was a male and a female, and they were breeding. Huh. Locked in embrace. Yeah. Cloaca the the cloacal kiss they call that. And they put their cloacas together. I asked him like, Dad, can we keep it? And he's like, We don't have something to kill it with. And because And you you suggested that we what? Shoot it. With my shotgun. And then I said, what will that do to the turkey situation that we got going on right now? <laughs> really mess it up. <laughs> so what did that happen? Wait a minute. <laughs> that was running and gunning. Got that was running track. and gunning. So things are more apt to happen. But yeah, you, know, you but saw a river otter when you were sitting in a blind. Not, not. We weren't holding it by the tail. <laughs> <laughs> well, fair enough. So how, how many, uh, so then how many turkeys have you, have you uh, harvested, I guess is the word. Uh, two. When we were in Texas. Last year was his first year of turkey hunting. Yeah. And he got two last year. And I he got one here last one year. One here and one at home. And then And this year he's he's this year he's having a horrible year. I'm having a really bad year. Uh, when we were in Texas, we like just couldn't get up on turkeys and pretty soon there's like I look out the we well, my dad points out two I told your sister's up to bat. Sister gets first know, shot. It's not fair. Um <laughs> completely fair. And she got was, one. Yeah. Um which happened to be a bearded hen. Mm-hmm. Um, so two turkeys so far. Yeah. And you got one in a blind and, and one, one running and gunning. Yeah. Okay. Um, but we were in Texas. My dad pointed out two gobblers and I got out of the car. Oh, you want to talk about running and gunning? 
Listen to this hunting story. Uh, this is the craziest hunting story you'll I ever like hear. This. Let's just have Jimmy sit here. We'll just keep asking tell questions. Doug, tell Doug what happens when you try to tear off against your dad, yelling at you not to do it. Um. So let me let me let me set scene real quick, just because we're driving along, going out to hunt, and come around the corner, and here's a gobbler standing there. Two, two of them. So this vehicle or has no doors or anything it's open top no doors it's just like a chopped off suburban he's out the door i'm like no but he grabs his gun and hustles off into the bushes and what'd you turn up in the bushes um <laughs> so i <laughs> took aim with my shotgun and had a like great shot of the turkey's head and pull the trigger my safety was on oh no then i turned my safety off and bust a move through the bushes fall and my safety gets turned back on so now I'm this this is what they teach you in gun uh, hunter safety. I'm hustling <laughs> after this turkey and I'm like sweating and I get up here <laughs> and this turkey is stuck in a bush. Like it cannot move. Ran completely through paralyzed. A briar patch and got hung up. So I take aim at this turkey and my safety is on once again. This turkey turns, runs back towards me and starts flying and is gone. And this happened twice. (laughs) (laughs) This happened twice when my safety... No, like a different, a whole different incident when my safety was on. Both times of me screaming my lungs off to get his ass back to the car. But while he's screaming, (laughs) one of the times I didn't shoot because my dad was screaming at me. Huh. Where I thought he'd be mad. (laughs) I was. I know. Whereas you could have come walking out of there going, what are you yelling about? Holding the turkey up, Yeah. All right, you're good. All right. Thanks, Jimmy. Can I stay here? No. (laughs) All right, never mind. (laughs) See ya. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Doug and I were talking earlier, Steve, that we like the way we like the way you talk to your kids. Uh, (laughs) Like I'm annoyed. No, you're 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 direct. Uh, (laughs) Oh, speaking of, uh, I read you a little bit of this, Doug. James, like, I hate video games. Don't like them none. But James, like, <laughs> has been lobbying aggressively. I love this. To get an Xbox. <laughs> and his mom kind of, like, I don't really understand. I, I'd have to check with someone who knows about this stuff. His mom thinks it's all right because you don't, like, you're not meeting strangers online oh, when you're on okay. an Xbox. Is okay. this true or not I, true? I, I don't know. Where's Phil when you need him? It's, it's possible. Okay. I think you can, yeah, right? You, yeah. you could play with people acro- all across the world. Through Xbox. Depend yeah. on, depending Is there like on the a, game. There must be something. Unless she doesn't know what she's talking about. <laughs> she feels like that it's all right. I don't know. Either way, our lawyer who represents our company, I asked him to draft up a contract, a real <laughs> official looking contract <laughs> to govern his use. It's so funny. <laughs> to govern his use. And I sent him my points, my deal points. <laughs> And so he sends his contract over like, it's long. So I'm in the terms of use section. 3.2.1. James Rennell will secure the prior consent from the Guardians before any and all use of the Xbox, which consent may be withheld for any reason, including but not limited to no reason at all. (laughs) 3.2.2. James Ronello will not introduce any new games to the Xbox without securing the prior consent from the Guardians before any use, which consent may be withheld for any reason, including but not limited to <laughs> no reason at all. <laughs> 323. 
The use of the Xbox will not supersede or interfere with James Ranella's obligations to the family Ranella, which includes requested chores, daily routines, school obligations, room cleaning, outdoor sports activities, family gatherings, family interactions, pet care, and maintenance and general good behavior. It goes on and on. Six pages. And he's like, he wants to see, he was asking about getting it reviewing it and having his comments and i told him not only is it non-negotiable but it's an exploding offer <laughs> meaning he signs or else the whole conversation just ends your kid's gonna be a lawyer That's a, he's gonna Rosie spend all this be. time studying documents uh, one, one more deal point <laughs> there should be no complaining squabbling nagging crying fighting hitting punching or wrestling with any siblings or any other youth that is related to the use of the Xbox. <laughs> Violation of this requirement may result in additional adverse consequences to James Ranella beyond the inability to use the Xbox. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. No, I'm going to frame this son of a bitch and hang it above that thing. <laughs> he won't even, he, he's not even going to turn it on. He's just like, you know what? Too much trouble. Too oh, much trouble. Wow. That's great. Huh. Oh, seeing that, seeing that uh, kid reminds me. <laughs> if you haven't bought it, buy it. Outdoor Kids in an Inside World is available now. New book about uh, getting your family, getting your kids and family outdoors and getting them radically engaged with nature. Outdoor Kids in an Inside World. My book, my latest book. Get it now. Oh, since we're sitting at the Duran farm right now, in case you didn't already catch it, you all have to go watch season three of Cal in the Field, which is out. We're talking about Ryan O'Cal Callahan. One of those episodes is filmed right here with uh, old Bubbly Doug on the Duran family farm. It details a whitetail hunt here and shows all about Doug's conservation efforts to test and monitor CWD in the area. O'Cal also spears fish and hunts rice ducks and other episodes. So go. Check him out, educating you all on YouTube. Go to the Meat Eaters YouTube channel. Subscribe. Check that out. Also, this also related to Doug's Farm. The first episode of Yanni's show. Yanni, the Latvian lover, Putellis. His show, On the Hunt, is out now. One episode was filmed doing what we're just doing, hunting turkeys on the Duran Farm. Yanni also goes for uh, black bears with Clay, hunts elk with Jason Phelps and Dirk Durham. Does his first ever self-filmed episode pursuing whitetails in Michigan. Then he hunts turkeys with our friend Rue Map. We're launching a giveaway in association with the new series. So head to TheMeatEater.com to sign up for a chance to win a custom curated gear package hand-picked by Yanni himself for your own hunting needs. Uh, oh, check this out. I didn't think this was possible. In Pennsylvania, the Pennsylvania Game Commission just found, you ready for this, Doug? I am. Did the, did the transition throw you? It's about turkeys. Oh, okay. Oh, here you go. Speaking of turkeys, a 12-and-a-half-year-old wild hen. Man, that seems ancient. I know, because here's crazy? the thing, man. Like, this isn't always true, but I've checked this with two turkey biologists. I heard this. I verified it with two turkey biologists. And it's like, here's the thing you can safely say, and we've said it many times on the show. Of the eggs that hit the ground, now this is just running averages, 
Okay, average. There's all kinds of exceptions, but average, on average. So uh, uh, they'll lay about a dozen eggs, okay? Of the eggs that hit the ground, 75% won't hatch. Hmm. Of the eggs that hatch, 75% won't see their first birthday. Of those that see their first birthday, 75% won't see their second birthday. Just very round numbers. Yet, they get a 12-and-a-half-year-old hen Previously captured and tagged as an adult in 2012, Clearfield County. Yeah, that's crazy. So they've been tracking her for a decade. And they just threw a GPS tracker on her now. Unbelievable. Wow. Yeah. wow. Like, she must just always make the right decision. <laughs> right, yeah. You, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> go right or go left. <laughs> left. Yeah. Yeah, Do you, you know what I'm saying? Like, how? Yeah, 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 that's crazy. Or it'd be interesting to know more about her life history. Is she, I would like, is she somehow infertile? Hmm. Huh. And is never, uh, never ground nested. Hmm. I like, I don't know. Hmm. Like, has she really yeah. success? Like, she has survived incubating nests 11 times. Good question. Spending the night on the ground. As Clay Newcomb's relative said, never fall in love with a ground nesting bird. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. Unbelievable. Wow. Another oddball uh, thing, totally different. Have you guys seen this? They're try this is in Michigan. They're trying to find out what is up with this deer. There's some photographs that emerged where a white-tailed doe was missing. Both of her rear hooves. Oh, like explain what that looks like because it's, it's just white insane. leg, like white, dry white leg bones emerging out of her from below her knee. So she's walking it's on just her a joint down there, right? Just a white, a clean, pure, it's just like white, that leg bone, six inches of leg bone, no hooves. And she's both of them like done in a hospital, like both of them exactly the same. And she lived like that and walked around on those bones. You know, it's kind of like a corn dog. It's like corn dog legs, exactly. right? They're just the the wood part of the sticks are just sticking out. No hoof, no nothing. Just walking on that. Oh, it's when insane. I saw the picture, I was like, oh. It, it, so there's pictures Poor of animal. her alive and pictures of her dead. Showed up in a bulletin board called Michigan Outdoorsman in 2013. It was at that time had been taken several years earlier. No location or other details. Who'd this come from? Heffelfinger? Heffelfinger. Yep. Yeah. Heffelfinger's trying to find out. They don't know the age of the deer or how long it, it let, was out and about that way. Uh, Heffelfinger reached out to Chad Stewart at the Michigan Department of Natural Resources, and he asked their recently retired pathologist who'd been in that job over 40 years. Never saw or heard of that animal. That particular, Never saw or heard of what is up with that deer. He didn't know. Went and searched the archives from 2012 to 2015, so around the time these pictures emerged. No evidence of that deer coming through the lab. Of someone being like, how did this deer live walking around? It'd be like if you had... Imagine that someone cut your foot off at the ankle, 
strip the muscle and flesh up halfway up your calf, right. and then got a trail cam picture of you. And they actually have pictures of this thing walking around? If Doug went to 2013, his camera set out at the navel, I bet that deer comes through there. (laughs) (laughs) Doug's like, oh, here I got a picture. It lost its feet at the navel. (laughs) Hefflefinger's dying to know about this deer. Yeah. So if you know about the deer... And holy cow, what a bizarre picture. I'm skeptical. I just, that it yeah. could have lasted long that way. But yeah. It's 2013, and yeah, look at that right. picture of it, the trail cam picture of it. Yeah. God. What do you mean you're skeptical? You're some, there's, some, there's something I'm not getting You think here. it's a doctored image? Some, I don't know. I have no idea. It doesn't look like one. No, no it doesn't. I, I yeah. saw it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I saw and it. here's the thing about it is like, Heffelfinger, I mean, we got a song about Heffelfinger. He's no right. dummy. Oh, no. That's that's the thing coming from Jim, but I'm wondering if Jim's looking into it like skeptically With the same himself. skepticism, yeah. yeah. Trying to pin it down. You know what I always say? Skepticism is the chastity of the, of the intellect. intellect. Yep, I wrote that down. <laughs> Spring is a great time to do something with your family. Do some spring cleaning, which I kind of started today outside. Planning outdoor activities, which I'm always doing. Taking a little trip to Hawaii with your kids for spring break, which I just did, which was great. You know what else you can do for your family this spring? You can shop for life insurance with Policy Genius. Make that part of your financial planning for the year. I've said it before a thousand times. I'll say it again. When my wife and I, when we started having kids, We got serious about life insurance, and man, I felt so much better after we did. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Even if you already have a life insurance policy through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs, and it may not follow you if you leave your job. So save time and money. And provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Applying for tags each year in the West can be daunting. Yeah, I apply for everything everywhere. It's daunting. You have to go to a variety of sources to formulate your best guess as to where to apply. Well, this is a thing of the past now. Onyx just launched hunt research tools to simplify the process for all hunters. This tool helps organize the data that matters, makes comparing hunt options easy, and helps hunters develop a plan based on real metrics rather than gut feelings. Onyx Hunt also offers all elite members a free digital membership to Hunt and Fool, who I use, for boots on the ground insight and knowledge, and a membership to Hunt Reminder, so you never miss another deadline. Stop stressing over application season and apply with confidence in 2024. Check out OnX Hunt Research Tools, free for all OnX Hunt Elite members. Not an elite member? Well, let's fix that. Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt. This is an app I use literally every day. I use it for every aspect of hunting, scouting, trapping, you name it. Hey, I'm excited to share our newest sponsor here on the Meat Eater Podcast, which is Poncho Outdoors. The reason I'm excited is I buy their shirts anyways. 
I don't. I don't I, listen, man. I, I rarely go into stores to buy clothes. I like. To, I just buy myself online, and I love their shirts. Max that I work with, Max Bard, who comes on the podcast one day. I don't know if he sent me a link to this place. I went on and bought some shirts. Dude, they make some good shirts. And they even have an option where if you're like a skinny dude, you can click like the skinny dude thing and get like a whole different cut of the shirt. It's great. Based in Austin, Texas, Poncho is committed to crafting the world's best outdoor shirts for men. They got it started out with a lightweight fishing shirt. Now they make all kinds of other lines. Western, denim, flannel, corduroy. Better fitting. Not, not all baggy. Better performing because they got modern fabrics with some stretch and breathability and way comfortable poncho is only sold on their own website so head over to ponchooutdoors.com use code meat eater for a free hat or t-shirt with any purchase of a shirt poncho offers free shipping and returns so you can try them out risk free Crin found a great uh we, we always we always like to cover uh in wildlife news misleading wildlife news headlines. This is ridiculous. This is the best one. So <laughs> there's a famous bull elk that lives in Rocky Mountain National Park. Okay. Somehow this bull elk has three nicknames. He's nicknamed Kahuna, which is mildly not PC. Uh that being Hawaiian for chief. He's nicknamed Bruno. And he's nicknamed, this is by the hunters who have seen him, Big Thirds. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, most part people are like, I don't understand Big Thirds. I'm going to name him Kahuna. I'm guessing he had Big Thirds. Uh, he lives and dies in Rocky Mountain National Park. There's some photographers that have tracked him over the years. He goes, they said he seemed to have gotten injured during the rut, came out of the winter looking wasted, very thin, weak. They find his body and it's covered in mountain lion tracks and scavenged. He had already shed one antler, so he's only got one antler left. Apparently, someone hauled off then hauled off the skull and antler some park goer just couldn't resist the temptation how is this reported <laughs> in the tech and in science newsweek <laughs> section newsweek take a guess at the headline doug i can't even begin to well here it is from the tech and science desk <laughs> No less <laughs> of Newsweek. <laughs> Famous elk beheaded in Rocky Mountains. Oh my God. <laughs> the remains will return to the earth. Famous elk beheaded in Rocky Mountains. There's really nothing it to say. It just doesn't <laughs> end. No. Oh, the garbage. But the, what, what these people do, though, that I don't get is the letdowns they inspire. The letdowns. The disappointments. Because I oh, would yeah. see that headline, and yeah. I'm like, holy shit. I'm going to read this. That, right? That's what happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> that's what happened to me. Yeah, and then you're like, oh, that's what happened? Yeah. Well, you, I think years ago, I remember you saying one time, and I really made me kind of rethink how I look at non-hunters, I tend to give them the benefit of the doubt. 
you made a great point one time how why would this matter to them? They don't hunt. They have no connection to hunter. So how can you expect them to know all these nuances that we will argue about and we'll fight about? They don't even know the main topic, and we're arguing the nuances. Mm-hmm. And But then this comes along, you think, all right, though, come on. Mm-hmm. You're going way beyond even objective fact here with that kind of headline, that kind of storytelling. Yeah. Not a whole hell of a lot to say about it. No. We'll keep talking about it. Another interesting thing that I've been seeing a lot lately is someone, uh, a photographer who found it before its head, before it was beheaded, <laughs> <laughs> said that he felt humbled touching its antler. I don't understand that. No. I, I have no idea either. Yep. Would you mind pulling up real quick what it means to be humbled? Well, I mean, I would assume that it's, you know, whether it was... uh that the antler is from from such a large animal. That the antlers are are large, or it takes a lot of energy and it to grow these. Changed his feelings you know? about himself. I don't know. Maybe this guy's just got some psychological. No, I'm, I, I'm not. I'm not down. I'm just. I'm just curious. What like what actually happens when you get? I mean, I know, but I don't know. I just want to hear like from the straight from the the dictionary, huh? Yeah. When you're humbled, you're like put in your place. Um, or, or at least made the meat made to feel like hmm, kind of brought brought down the earth a little bit. Yeah, lower someone in dignity or importance is a dictionary definition. So he touched the antler and felt his dignity lowered, <laughs> yeah. or his and his self importance lowered. Yeah, that's a horn hunter right there. Yeah, <laughs> that's an antler. I think if I was trying to solve this mystery. I would check that gentleman's yeah. garage. <laughs> a person of interest. <laughs> yes. No joke. In man. court, the judge be like, the, the lawyer be like, is it true that you felt humbled by that antler? Yeah. Are you sure you weren't awed? <laughs> <laughs> oh, here's a good story for you, Doug. You'll appreciate this. I wish I could, I wish this was up. This better. always concerns me when you say that, that I'm going to be. Well, I, I stole that joke. I'm not using it right, but that's a Brian Callen joke. Oh, yeah. Like, let's say Callen's going to tell you, like, the most, like, let's say Callen's going to tell you a story about, like, the worst sex offender. (laughs) And he'll say, he'll be like, dog, you'll appreciate this. (laughs) (laughs) And then tell him about something he saw on the news. You'll appreciate this, Doug. So... There's a guy, so Corinne likens this too when you, what, but Corinne, can you explain what an online, lo- you, you liken it to an online love scam, but I haven't been, <laughs> I haven't had a love scam, have you? I, I have not, but I've. But you haven't shown up for a date that turned out to be no, not? Oh. No, but it's like you'll hear about these instances of people who meet others online, so you don't know if they're a real person or not, but there have been you know, for years, these scams where, you know, someone who, I don't even want to call them desperate. It doesn't have to be desperate. You're interacting with someone over email who you imagine to be the person who they say they are Mm -hmm. in these emails. Uh, Maybe you think you've seen proof that they exist because they've sent you photos, which doesn't necessarily mean anything. And there's like a sob story. There's a whole sob story. 
and they entice you into sending money somewhere over Western Union, over whatever it is. So when I read this, uh, that's yeah. exactly what I what I thought about. Someone took that the the you know well most famously it's like a guy in Nigeria yeah, who yes. like has all of the king's money. <laughs> and if you could just send him 300 bucks, he'd be able to bring all the king's money to you. <laughs> right. This is a guy who took this. This is like, I always love this because it's so specific. Somehow this guy starts selling hunting leases in Ohio that don't exist. Huh. For big money. For big money. He's selling $5,000 leases. He sells a lease to a guy, and a guy goes over there to start scouting, and the landowner comes down being like, what's going on? He goes, well, haven't you heard? We just leased this place. The guy's like, you what? <laughs> <laughs> I am interested, man. <laughs> so then they get, yeah, they catch the guy. They get him showing up to collect his money. Like the fish and game gets involved. And he's got like wire fraud and all that. Mm -hmm. Did U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service get involved in this? I suppose we went across state yeah. lines. Didn't you? I think U.S. Fish and Wildlife mm -hmm. Service even got involved. Ohio Department of Natural Resources, Division of Wildlife was involved. Yep. Involved in search warrants oh, on social yep. media accounts. They did it in connection with U.S. Yep. Fish and Wildlife yep. Service because it was wire fraud outside the state. Right. Yeah, yeah. And U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, uh, it's kind of it, uh, credit to them. They took it real serious. Oh, yeah. Uh <sighs> So protecting sustainable hunting of America's wildlife resources is bedrock to our mission in the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, said Assistant Director Edward Grace from their Office of Law Enforcement. Investigating those who prey on individuals attempting to hunt lawfully by defrauding them is our trusted responsibility to the American people. Hmm. Here's where it gets, uh, here, here's where, here's where, so he's guilty, the guy pled guilty, his name's Knox pled guilty to wire fraud he's scheduled to be sentenced maximum penalty That's, which pff, wow. yeah get like yeah. you know what he'll get like a day the maximum penalty 20 years that's yeah huh wow can you imagine if the judge actually did that <laughs> 20 years i'm not shitting either 20 God. years did they did they like hold <laughs> on <a minute. laughs> did they talk about how much money he defrauded people of uh Oh, man, yep, at least 59 of the individuals he was he interacted with sent initial payments to this defendant, totaling over $34,000. You know, and the other question that comes to mind, I mean, the criminal mind generally is not a real sharp one. How and, can you say that? Okay, in this case, how did this guy not think he was going to, how did he think he was going to get away with this? Eventually, I guess he... It went on for a while, but how did you think you were not going to... Oh, like when he like not gonna present get his business, his like criminal business plan? Yeah. And here's how and I'm going to get like, away with Here's where it. I'm confused. When the people show up to hunt the leases... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess if you're sending the like, money what, to some... What then? <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, it just seems like it's, it's going to catch up with you eventually. Oh, well, check this out. They found this sweet knife in what country was it? Norway. In Norway. Way up high in the Alpine area in the mountains. They found an old caribou, like a caribou hunter's knife around with all kinds of other, well, reindeer there because it's Europe, with other like reindeer hunting 
equipment. Like they, they'd build these sort of like drive lines. And he had a birch burl handle. It was metal. Like they had metal technology. A metal knife, big long tang inside. Runs the whole length. Built around a birch burl handle. Laying on the rock like some some bitch left it there last week. Yeah, it's awesome. Beautiful. I mean, rusted, but like beautiful. I mean, not even that much rust. Just no. like a little bit. It could have been, you know, your old knife. They say in that area, because it's, like, it's like dry, high country stuff. Just They got all kinds of arrows. Huh. Laying around that long, you look and be like, "Oh, look an arrow melting out of the ice and stuff." Look at that knife, isn't that crazy? Yeah, and who hasn't done that? Left a knife behind. Go, where the hell right, did right. I leave that oh. knife? And let's buy a gut pile out in the. You know? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this article gets into something interesting that um, around that time, fifteen hundred years ago, the Vikings began to establish trade networks for caribou hides and. In goods, and they can, and then when they go and look at like genetic stuff, they can see that the populations start to bottleneck out. Huh? Like they were overhunting. Once they huh. developed like good trade networks, they started pouring the coals to them. Yeah. And they see that they really started to reduce the numbers significantly. Contemporaneous with them establishing markets, which is very similar to the you know what happened to the yeah, American honey. bison. Yeah. Everything clicking along, and the minute yeah. someone wants to give you a couple bucks for the hide, talking them down. All right, yeah. Uh, so, what? I'll, give, give people an update on uh, Yah Yangness. Since, oh, do you want to tell people where you're going to be next Wednesday? Next Wednesday, isn't it next Wednesday? Um, I'll be I'll be turkey hunting next Wednesday. Yeah. No, I thought you were going to be in Atlanta eating it. Oh, oh yeah. Well, it's it's actually in two days Wednesday. Oh, that Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, oh. so uh, you'll have already yeah <laughs> you'll have already eaten at uh, yeah. Kevin Gillespie's yeah. gun oh, show. Yeah. Oh, you're gonna be a gun show. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, I'm actually going home and packing up and then heading out tomorrow at six a.m. So, oh, awesome. Yeah. So, uh, what's going on in Huntland? Have you had the? You didn't have any. You guys didn't have any success here at Doug at the Duran place. Wasn't able to produce for you. Yeah, well, but all's not lost. You know, we um got Michaela out there and we. Heard tons of gobbling and saw a ton of turkeys, and so I think that's uh, totally worth the trip. Was this you know? her first turkey hunt? Uh, if you no. count us walking out um, okay. a few days ago because the season's already started in Minnesota, okay. so oh, mm-hmm. uh, we we went out for a, a running gun style um, um, on Wednesday evening after school, and then you know we got ready to come here. Uh, so officially, it's it's her first time out like sitting in a blind for a long time but yeah <laughs> she must yeah. have really liked it to well be she, out that long <laughs> no, <laughs> she, she was what everybody has to you gotta yeah. twist around yeah. man yeah you well, got I, the same attorney as steve yeah <laughs> <laughs> no that, that part was no non-negotiable and, and <laughs> she was she was getting um contentious with pat and i a little bit because she <laughs> oh. wanted to stay here with the kids you yeah. know she's like ah oh, can we just go for 30 minutes and pat and oh. i'm like no they can't they can't can't be you gotta but, be a pretty good turkey hunter to do a 30 minute turkey <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah well that was our our, our you gotta uh, have one of jimmy's her. ones that's yeah. hung up in the briar <laughs> we said if you shoot one in 30 minutes we'll be back here within an hour you know so but it could happen yeah and then uh what happened last year season uh, last year season, uh, did a did a ton of hunting. Um, uh, I missed an eight pointer uh, uh, via shotgun. Um, 
I texted you about it, but you gave me no sympathies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so missed one on opening day and uh, of the rifle season, and then didn't see one after that. And then my brother and I went out um, a few times, and my buddy went out a few times uh, down in Rochester, and um, we went out one day. It was the um, uh, last day of the archery season. And then the next day would have been the CWD hunt. So I was sitting in a tree with my bow and it was getting cold. I mean, this is like sub uh, 10 degrees or something like that. Um, I was fidgeting with my gloves and, you know, this tiny spike came by and I didn't have have a chance to shoot. And so that was that. And then the next day was the CWD hunt and we, we didn't see any that came by. So, so that was it. Damn. Yeah, oh, yeah. that's like what Yanni always says. Damn. Always be hunting. Yep. So close, but you feel like we're, I feel like we're getting closer, and um, but you know it, it's still you know time well spent. How, how old are you now? Me? Yeah. Forty three. You still got time. <laughs> Look at dogs. Yeah. <laughs> Sixty three. I'm still. Yeah. Doug, like you, you got twenty more years deer hunting ahead of yeah. you at least. Doug's still kicking. Yeah, well, my my only my only slight regret is I I started late, right? And so, um, yeah, but looking forward to it. Yeah, that's good. Your seasons a, are much shorter. Uh, the archery season what? is September, mid September, all the way to end of December. Oh, okay, okay. And then you got the rifle mixed in there. Okay. You know, um, uh, I bought a bunch of more right firearms since we last met. <laughs> so that's, sometimes that's all it takes, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I was telling these guys the, you know, Minnesota split into a north and south yeah. zone, so we ended up hunting, or I ended up hunting with with my brother and my buddies, just mostly in the south. So we, the couple of days after I missed that buck, you know, I was with a regular twelve gauge shotgun with you know the smooth barrel, and you have to have the rifled slug, right? Well, two days later, I went and bought an actual bolt action slug gun, shotgun mm-hmm. itself, so I could use it pretty much anywhere in the state. Yeah. And when then, you get your first deer, I think we ought to have a party. We, yeah. It'll yeah. be called Yah's Definitely. first deer party. You'll you'll be the first one to know. <laughs> <laughs> Doug asked him, must have been Friday or so, well, how many guns do you have now then? Because he was telling you, on this gun buying spree. He said, I think he said 10. Yeah. And then Doug asked him, well, what are they? And he started going through his list and Doug says, that's only six. What about the other four? And I think, I think he kind of stumped you. Did yeah, you yeah. I, I, I think you got up to eight. Yeah, it was was eight, but it's it really is ten if you count the handguns. You know, it, yeah, I, okay. I do have two handguns, and then I I, I do have a muzzleloader now. You know, well, I, I haven't even shot it yet. Yeah. But right after the muzzleloader season, um, my brother and I like, well, I think if we want to keep hunting a lot, we we need to get into on this muzzleloader action. So yeah. him and I went and bought two muzzleloaders, and you know, it's got the you know the pellets. Um, yep, yep. You know, it's the, I guess they call it the inline muzzleloader. Yeah, you know? I learned yep. all about it yep. this year for the first time. Yeah. We, we should muzzleload hunt together sometime yeah, so because I, I, th- I just started doing that. So it's like we're get, we're new at it together. Yeah, sounds great. I so happen you, to get two with one, though. Do you got a um a promising hunt plan put together for this fall? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, got uh, right after the turkey season, you know, we're probably going to, you know, I think the one thing I've been learning throughout this process is you got to do a lot more scouting. So we did, did a ton of scouting before the turkey season and then as soon as this turkey season ends you know it's going to go back into 
you know, archery mode and scouting mode for the for the summer. So yeah. So yeah, it's gonna be archery, you know, rifle and then muzzleloader. Yeah. And then, you know, whatever the C W D hunts are will be. Um typically they have two at the end of at middle of December and end of December. If when when you get one, I'm saying when, when you get a deer. Do you imagine you'll do all Hmong preparations, or do you think you'll do like Joe Blow American preparations? Well, the Hmong preparations are really just soup, and so which which is another thing is my brother and I said that uh you know one one day when we can get this group together we'll we'll coop we'll, we'll cook up this uh, we if you literally translate it it's poop soup, right? Which Go on. is yeah, I'm trying. Yeah, which Love is uh, which is basically every. Like just everything in this big pot. It's what kind of soup? Poop soup. <laughs> Sounds yeah. appetizing. Well, it's. I mean, it's. I mean, I'm. I'm, I'm sure it literally. Yeah. It'd be like yeah. everything but the kitchen sink. sink. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay, Pretty yeah. much. I mean, you clean. You clean out the. Um, you know, you're talking the stomach. You know, you're talking the, oh, the intestines. Everything but the kitchen sink there. from the deer. Yeah, mm-hmm. from the deer. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. No, okay, really start from scratch now. Because now I'm intrigued. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's really just I mean there's nothing special to it. It's just um, you know, typically we don't throw away anything. Yeah. yeah. Right? And so and that's Yeah, cuz you one. you guys you guys as people are more connected to the days of want than our Correct. people. Yes. Who so, are, have been softened and spoiled by opulence. Yeah. So if you know, and I grew up in you know, in the Twin Cities when we have our you know, cultural rituals, you typically go and you butcher a pig or a, um, a cow mm-hmm. to um, basically because you're offering that up to the ancestors or to do the ceremony. Like if you have a newborn, you know, everybody, you invite everybody and they tie strings on their hands. It's, it's actually a tie ceremony um, in origin, but um, you typically butcher a cow or a pig and you invite the whole community or your family and that's one of the things that they do is they take, they save everything, including, um, including the skin, and they 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 use it all in in whatever type of dishes that they're cooking for the day. And this big pot of stew is usually you know one of the main things because it could feed a lot of people. And it's got stomach in it. It's got it's got everything. Yeah, you, anything you can imagine goes in there except for the heart. Dude, right. did you yeah. did you did you listen, Doug? I got to revisit something. Did you listen to the episode when he was on? The that first Yah was on. Yes, when he talked about the the clan of Hmong that can't eat heart. I vaguely recall it. Well, uh, let's we're gonna do a game of chicken. No, what's it called? Not chicken. Telephone. Oh, let me get, if I get this straight. And by the way, audience, that's episode two seventy seven, driving squirrels with the Hmong. Which was should have been called Hmong dudes or trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let me know if I get this straight. There's a legend or a story where there's a and it's it's a curse actually. It's a curse. Yeah. There is a one of these events is occurring, and they put the heart of a what? A cow. Or they they needed the heart. Just, of a just cow, tell the damn but, story. I mean, I know the gist yeah. of it, but I just want you to retell the story. Okay, so they're they're cooking this big pot, and in that pot is the heart of, um, you know, depending on who tells the story, you know, it's it's usually a cow, right? When it came time to come take the heart to go and do whatever they needed to do with with the heart, 
they couldn't find it. In the pot. In the pot. Anywhere. Looked high and low, couldn't find it. So they Did blamed they it. in the pot? They <laughs> looked in the pot, couldn't find it. So they blamed it on this uh, young boy or kid. Um, or, or a young man or a young kid. And long story short, they used his heart. Oh. So they, you know, ended up killing him, used that, used his heart for this because you have to, because they had to. They, they, needed, a, have they a needed a heart. Yeah, I'd they like needed to see that heart. contract. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so, uh, but you had, there were some details about that boy. Yeah. So, um, you know, apparently he, that boy, young man had a, uh, like a mental disability. And so he, um, he, he was essentially easy to blame because he couldn't defend himself. Um, so they used his heart and blamed it on him. At, when everything was said and done uh, and they're cleaning out the pot, they find the cow's heart stuck at the bottom of the pot and it was there all along. Oh, so then this kind of cover-up ensues, right? And one of the relatives, or I can't remember, it was it was a woman. Uh, it it was it was a woman because it was the woman who laid the curse on the men. So you know her curse was that from this day forth, all you men, if you ever eat a heart, you're gonna go blind. And so, and and that curse affects certain sub clans of. Uh, the like I'm a Yang, so it affects certain subclans of the Yang. So you can't eat a heart. I can't eat a heart. Wow. And so you, and you, I don't think I'd chance the heart. it. And you honor that. I do. Yeah, that's one of the first things you learn <laughs> growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and no we, heart we talk, for you. No heart for me. Now. <laughs> yeah. So I was share. I was sharing this last time. Was two things you learn growing up is you know you can't eat heart as as a. Um, as a, a male member of the family and uh, you can't marry somebody with the same last name, regardless of sub clan. So, huh? I think that poop soup's going to be great. Yeah. Yep. I like your attention to detail and the level of, 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 of detail that, and, and that you're able to like delve into these stories really well. I just find it um, fascinating. So, uh, what do you do on the Saturday before Thanksgiving? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's 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 interesting you ask that because <laughs> you know my you know my wife her her family obviously isn't con- affect, uh, affected by the curse, right? But you you kind of hear you know when you go to family gatherings you kind of hear oh you know we got the the son in law over there who can't eat heart so you guys gotta watch out for that you know so. Um, they do kind of, it, it's kind of like this known thing. Um, the people take it seriously. Yeah, but they, yeah, they do. Yeah. They do take well, it seriously. Well, you obviously do. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's it's kind of one of those kind of funny things, but not so funny things. Because yeah, wherever you go, seriously. you kind of, yeah. you know. You can, What's um, this have to do with the Saturday before Thanksgiving? Yeah. Well, but by that, I mean, uh, when you, I, I, I guess what I was thinking of was in general, when you cook stuff or when you, um, and when you get large gatherings, you, you know, you just kind of, it's just a known thing that you watch out what you put in the, 
you know, all the dishes or and whatnot. So not put any heart in there. Yeah, yeah. It, because you have members you know, that are affected by that. Oh, I think yeah. Doug was going to invite so that, something. So that has to do with Thanksgiving. <laughs> I'm talking about the Saturday before Thanksgiving. He's trying to hook something up. I think you're getting yeah. an invite. Yeah. Oh, you're, yeah. Yeah. Doug's I mean, being a little... So the Saturday before Thanksgiving... <laughs> Doug's not getting to the point. Right. Yeah. Saturday before Thanksgiving is opening day of the gun deer season here in Wisconsin. Okay. Where we can shoot bucks and does, and it's a nine-day nine season. I'd love to have you come and join us. That'd be great, Doug. I mean, yeah. I don't have anything planned. <laughs> and if you did, you just cleared that. Yeah. I will say this about that, though. Um, we don't eat any deer before we get it tested for CWD, so you can't we won't eat, you know, fresh venison from that particular week weekend. Sure. So you gotta eat the old deer. Gotta eat the old deer. So uh usually there'll be some there'll be some around. But not the whole poop soup thing. Well, I'll make it if you want some. Well, maybe we can make it out of uh, something else. Oh, right, you guys work out the details yeah. there. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> Applying for tags each year in the West can be daunting. Y yeah, I apply for everything everywhere. It's daunting. You have to go to a variety of sources to formulate your best guess as to where to apply. Well, this is a thing of the past now. Onyx just launched hunt research tools to simplify the process for all hunters. This tool helps organize the data that matters, makes comparing hunt options easy, and helps hunters develop a plan based on real metrics rather than gut feelings. OnX Hunt also offers all elite members a free digital membership to Hunt and Fool, who I use, for boots on the ground, insight and knowledge, and a membership to Hunt Reminder so you never miss another deadline. Stop stressing over application season and apply with confidence in 2024. Check out OnX Hunt Research Tools, free for all OnX Hunt elite members. Not an elite member? Well, let's fix that. Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt. This is an app I use literally every day. I use it for every aspect of hunting, scouting, trapping, you name it. Hey, I'm excited to share our newest sponsor here on the Meat Eater Podcast, which is Poncho Outdoors. The reason I'm excited is I buy their shirts anyways. I don't, I don't I, listen, man, I, I rarely go into stores to buy clothes. I like to, I just buy myself online and I love their shirts. Max that I work with, Max Bard, who comes on the podcast one day, I don't know if he sent me a link to this place. I went on and bought some shirts. Dude, they make some good shirts. And they even have an option where if you're like a skinny dude, you can click like the skinny dude thing and get like a whole different cut of the shirt. It's great. Based in Austin, Texas, Poncho is committed to crafting the world's best outdoor shirts for men. They got it started out with a lightweight fishing shirt. Now they make all kinds of other lines. Western, denim, flannel, corduroy. Better fitting. Not, not all baggy. Better performing because they got modern fabrics with some stretch and breathability. And way comfortable. Poncho is only sold on their own website. So head over to ponchooutdoors.com. Use code MEATEATER for a free hat or t-shirt with any purchase of a shirt. Poncho offers free shipping and returns, so you can try them out risk-free. Man, I just got a new truck. Before I even drove my new truck anywhere, I wasn't going to drive it anywhere until I put a deck system in it. That's, how, that's what a believer I am in decked. 
I always thought they were a great deal, but now they're even better because they have redesigned their drawer system in storage cases from the ground up. It's like, I didn't know there was a problem with them. I don't know. They seem great to me. It's an improvement on perfection. The new system, made in the USA, gives you 10 to 30% bigger drawers to fit more gear. It's lockable and secure, right? Weatherproof storage for all your gear. You build it right into your truck bed. You still have a truck bed you can put stuff on. The top deck of the new system has eight D-ring tie-downs integrated into the steel. So you have really burly anchor points to hook stuff down on your bed. So you got to slam on the brakes or take off real fast. Nothing shifts. And like I said, they're, they're, they're D-rings that lay real flat. Like you can still slide stuff right across the deck. It doesn't catch on the D-rings. The D-rings are built in. The drawer system fits any truck or van on the road in the USA from the last 20-plus years. Deck is a game-changer. There's no more, like, leaving stuff at home that you wish you had with you. The stuff I want in my truck is in my truck, out of the way, and secure. Go to deck.com slash eater to receive free shipping. Doug. Yes. Well, first off, I thought uh, you have a comment about kids and organized sports. Yeah, I do. I have several. Um, well, but it's just been really... Give me the most interesting Yeah, ones. well, the, the interesting thing is listening to you and you and Katie going back and forth and knowing and loving both of you and knowing and loving your kids. Um, I, agree with, I agree with her um, about the skiing thing, that the kids getting the opportunity to go skiing. I understand why, how it affects things with you. And then you, you were... Uh, it sounded like there was some rub about organized sports and whatnot. Um, I don't like... Commit. I don't want to commit myself to doing all that stuff for a bunch of weekends in a row. Yeah, and I'd I, rather come to like Doug's place, even if it was. Yeah. So I mean, so I played sports all through school. I I went to college, played basketball. I taught high school. I was a high school coach. Um, my daughter didn't play. She played volleyball for a little while. You know, kind of gave up on it. it. Wasn't something that I was that I I pushed her towards, kind of gave her the opportunity if she wanted to do it. And um, the thing that I... Even though she's 5'11". Even though she's 5'11", she had a pretty bad uh, ankle injury. And oh, okay. she's just like, yeah, I'm going to quit playing sports. And I was like, that's fine. Um, so all of those, that background in sports, and then I build and manage athletic fields for part of my living. Mm. Um, so it seems... And I had pretty good experiences as an athlete and, and, and all of that, but... I also have a wrecked knee, a wrecked ankle, um, all kinds of sports injuries that um, had I do to do my life over, I would have gotten more, I think I would have liked to have gotten more interested in life, lifelong sports, which skiing is one of the things that I really like no. doing. But I understand skiing that- is like- Man, I'm trying to agree no, with you and you are looked, not going to let me. It lays waste to people. Oh yeah, I know. I pe- I know people got hurt really bad, but lifelong sports is sort of, and and that's what I like about your approach is let's do lifelong sports, um, and uh, so even though I went, have had all this experience in sports and, and a lot of positive ones, makes I, I've also seen the ugly side of like parental involvement with sports. I mean, embarrassing oh. moments with people with their kids, and because I've been around it, and I mean I had parents confront me when I was a coach about their kid not playing enough and you know and all of that and and um so I I I kind of admire the discussion that you and Katie have been having about it and boy I'll tell you hanging around with your kids they aren't suffering from any you know lack of opportunity for various things and um 
So, yeah, you guys keep working that out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let's move on to the next the next thing I got to talk to you about. Um you were you have a right to speak about this because when 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 we had Uncle Ted on the show, Ted Nugent, he and I talked about you a fair bit in the context of CWD. And you had, uh, I, I'm normally not interested in retorts, but, but you, you, you felt that it came down to factual issues. Yeah, sure. I, I, so this is, this would be filed under correction, not a retort. I, well, I appreciate that. And yeah, I, people reach out to me anytime I'm mentioned on the podcast yeah someone called you uh what they say watch out don't mess with nugent fat boy or something yeah, they told yeah, you how, how'd that boy. come about oh it's just something i bet that... you beat that person's ass <laughs> oh i can you imagine if you got to fight whoever that was <laughs> when uh when i was on the rogan podcast and i uh referred to nugent as the guitar player <laughs> um i got messages from a guy who said i'll come to casanova and kick your ass and I said, that's why I sit with my back to the wall. Can I see bastards like you coming? <laughs> I, was con- I was more confrontational in those days. I have since mellowed. And, um, uh, wow. and then what was really interesting after that is Joe is texting me after that podcast, and he's texting with Nugent at the same time. And I said, oh, if you're texting with him, can you ask him if he felt disrespected by that comment? Because it was the only thing that I actually had planned to say. If I'm going to listen to, if I want to learn kick-ass Detroit guitar licks, I'll listen to Ted Nugent. If I want to learn about chronic wasting disease and epidemiology, I'll listen to people like my co-guest here, Brian Richards. And uh, I asked, you know, ask him. He goes, no, he thought it was a great line. Well, like, okay, well, (laughs) something that Ted Nugent and I agree on. So, you know, that was pretty cool. Um, And so, yeah, somebody called, well, I mean, the fat boy thing, I was like, yeah, I know I could lose a few pounds, but... um, Oh, I don't know who that is, but you would beat his ass. I had a pinched nerve in my shoulder, and I wanted I, all day. I'm telling my kid, like, try to, <laughs> dude. When Doug was like, I made, I made Doug crass it a little bit. You realize he could just crush the bones in his yeah. shoulder. Like, <laughs> can I, can like he could have driven his thumb out by armpit. I wasn't even pressing hard. Yeah. <laughs> can I tell you a real quick story about Doug's strength? <laughs> <laughs> we were loading up deer into my truck last fall from his milk shed down here. And for me to haul deer into my truck, I first got him on tailgate, and then I crawl into the truck and pull him oh, all the way in. Hmm. Doug stood at, at behind the tailgate, picked these deer. These are adult deer. He picked them up like flower sacks and pissed them in the truck. P- no pissed, kidding. <laughs> with, with barely bending over, just. Yeah. And, I, yeah. and my best days are behind me, too. So, you know. I'm hey. not saying like, um,. I'm not saying Doug's going to go, like, run down to town and back or something like that. No. But just in terms of, like, just uh, moments of power. You should come over to the So unless that guy runs, unless that guy runs, (laughs) Doug is going to beat his ass. Which I think you and I have had a conversation before about that. Like, if I locked that guy and Doug in this room right here (laughs) and shut the door and locked it. That dude is not going to be alive. <laughs> but that's not true. I would sit down and have a reasonable conversation with him and ask him about his points. And then I would make my points. And by the time it was all over with, we would be singing Kumbaya. But and that then, didn't work. Yeah. If that didn't work. If that didn't work. Uh, so, so, like, if you punch Doug, it doesn't matter. Hey, Doug, ever done MMA? 
No, no. <laughs> Around here, we don't call it, you know, UFC or They MMA. call it farm wrestling. No, <laughs> or an ass-kicking contest, <laughs> one or the other. The first time I went to UFC, I'm like watching it, I'm going, that's an ass-kicking contest where I'm from. Um, anyway. Uh, okay, we, so CWD. Yeah, Corinne and I were talking about this earlier, and I said, you know, you need a, a, title, a title for the CWD sections because it's really kind of getting to yeah. be... So I think we should call it "Eat the Burger." Yeah, love it. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. 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 So um, you're not here to tell. You're not here to try to say that Stranglehold wasn't a work of genius. You're here to talk about CWD. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, uh, I, was, I Stranglehold's a hell of a song, and I'm not gonna. <laughs> I'm not gonna. Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, the "Eat the Burger" part. First of all, there's a difference between saying, "Yeah, I'd eat the burger," and being confronted with it. Mm. I know, but I want to carry the burger around, but I feel it. Here, here, here's where you're your yeah, own you worst. Can't, you can't take it from here's, yeah, state to state. Here's where you're your own worst enemy. Uh, I want to get a bunch of CWD burger to bring, to present to people who say that they want to eat CWD burger. This should mm. be a new show on the Meat Eater Network. But <laughs> the, my CWD people, the CWD enforcers would these are the people who like you're supposed to do this with your knife and burn your house down after you have the deer in there <laughs> they would be pissed if i had a little pelican box full of the burger and i moved around with it yeah you couldn't take even it though you got deer wandering all over holy hell with cwd right, but you probably right. need to put it in like radioactive you know kind no, of they, if I did it, see this and... is the exaggeration that immediately happens but you're right <laughs> you can't transport it state to state yeah well that's not true you can take meat state to state you it's it's uh and you find out when it's if it's cwd positive uh, it, yeah. it's it's up to you and so i could legally carry the cwd meat around sure you could right. so and and that's a point that i that i want to make i'm not saying people shouldn't eat uh cwd positive meat i'm saying go ahead and make that decision make it for yourself but you're you're but that's not even what i wanted to talk about i know but home so you're saying that you don't buy it i i i i buy it that people would eat no. cwd positive i burgers? asked uncle ted deadly oh. tedly motor city madman ted nugent if I had a CWD burger made with 10 CWD positive animals ground into a burger, would you eat the burger? He said, I would eat the burger. I believe he would too. Dougie here, Bubbles, is saying he's not buying. Yeah. I'm saying there's, I'm, no, what I'm I saying. I think, Doug. Can I, I say one thing? And I'll, I, I, this is not my show, but what you need to do with your test, though, <laughs> is put a picture above the, the, the anim, what mm. the animal came from. And you show a picture of like the typical buck to get shot that, like I've killed, that had tested positive, CWD positive, looks healthy. You show some of the pictures of deer with CWD later in the, in the disease, mm. when they're getting wasted down, they're drooling, their heads rolling around, put that picture on there and say, would you eat meat off this deer? Hmm. It's a whole different... You're hmm. absolutely right. And in fact, that's where the... Uh, you better watch what you say about Nugent fatso or whatever that guy said to me where that came from i posted a video after that podcast of a deer that was brought in by my friend down the road um that he pulled into his hunting spot and here's this emaciated buck who had already dropped his antlers laying there next to their oh. field road shaking you've seen the video yeah. Yeah. and uh 
And I posted that back up and said, I guess I should have kept some of this and turned it into hamburger. I understand some people would be interested in eating it. <laughs> I got a lot of comments yeah, about that. it. I was like, well, that was pretty, you know, and so, you know, I, I'm not. I was, and that's when you became fat boy. Yeah. Well, and you know, again, I could stand to lose some weight, so I don't, I, I'll, I'll take it. Um, yeah, that video is something. But that's, that is absolutely. So that, what Pat's saying is that's exactly, that's exactly the point. And making that choice for yourself is one thing. Making that choice unknowingly serving it to other people. And I would even encourage people to think long and hard about it before they would serve it to their kids. Um, Explain why, though. Because of the long trajectory of uh, a disease like a Creutzfeldt-Jakobs variant um, and the effect that it can have on people. Um, Even Ted admitted that scrapies uh, in sheep is probably the origin of it, and it transferred to white-tailed deer, theoretically, that we know mad cow disease transferred from uh, uh, cattle to human beings. It's called a transferable spongiform encephalopathy. Transferable is in the name. So um, out of a preponderance of caution and risk reduction... That is why I would do it. And in that long arc of, of time, I wouldn't feed. I mean, I even sent you guys an email about the venison that we were going to have here, right? I mean, it was a, uh, it was a, a fawn or a deer of the year um, that had tested, not uh, CWD, not detected. I just felt in, in uh, being a, a, a truthful and conscious person to let you know this is the case. This is what this means. And you both said, you know, We'll eat what you eat, but I wouldn't. I didn't want to make that decision for at least for your kids. So, and and that's. I mean, I'm not being hysterical here or anything. I think I just just being a decent person. So, um, some of the other issues that I have with what uh, with, with Ted Nugent said. One of the things that he said, I, I made notes, and I rarely make notes before I come on your podcast. So one of them, he says, you'd have trouble finding 10 deer with CWD. We've had 12 on this farm. Um, and just for perspective, how, how uh, many acres? Uh, 400 acres. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we've had 12, and that's over a five-year period of time that have tested positive. And as you uh, fairly represented on that podcast, we were testing deer uh, once they started letting us do that. And now we get every deer tested, and we went from no CWD positive to CWD positive, um, having CWD positive deer. This past year, we had 24% of the deer killed on the farm, which, by the way, was 40 deer, which was a record number of deer on this farm. Hmm. Um, uh, Six out of 10 bucks, antlered bucks tested positive. So our anecdotal evidence follows the data that testing shows. Um, anyway, and we've had sick looking deer on the farm that we've not been able to shoot, but we've had them on camera in the middle of the summer when they shouldn't be looking sick. Like some of the deer right now look unhealthy. I mean, even some that we've seen as we've been out and about, but it's spring of the year and, you know, winter weakens and spring kills. And so, you know, deer don't do real well. Sometimes you can just see them out there just eating like crazy right now because they're, they're building back up their reserves. So there's that. Um, another one was the vitality of the herd. And uh, there actually are four studies out there, and you can look them up. I put 
put them, I sent them to you, uh, Corinne, and they can be put in uh, the show notes mm-hmm. that the uh, Boone and Crockett Club, a uh, fairly reputable organization, um, did an article uh, summarizing them that showed where uh, populations were affected by uh, chronic wasting disease in four different areas. Um, so there's that, that, I mean, it's actually population levels are being affected, but then also um, what we've seen or what's really been seen south of us is that the age structure of the herd is being uh, affected so that there are a lot of deer still south of us, but what's happening is the older deer are dying off and the herd is trending younger. And so over time, that is a, a particular concern to people who um, like to hunt big giant bucks. Um, here in Richland County, we're still killing big giant bucks. In Iowa County, they're still uh, uh, killing them, but they're killing fewer of them. Um, here in Richland, Northern, especially Northern Richland County, um, with our, our prevalence level still being, being pretty low, we're not seeing that, uh, that issue yet. But this past year, um, we killed, uh, my friend Chip killed a five and a half year old buck and, uh, tested positive And, you know, I'm sorry to say that I think that deer was already showing the, the, uh, signs, not physically, but mentally just by the way he was acting, seeing him pre-rut, um, standing in the yard, like not concerned about anything. A five-year-old buck hmm. is usually pretty, uh, uh, pretty, um, wary, um, so there are four studies. We put that uh, there. Um, at CWD Ground Zero, there's a uh, still killing you know some big old bucks, but sixty uh, there are bucks are testing sixty percent positive. I also sent that uh, to you. Um, one of the other things that Ted said was that CWD peaked in Wisconsin, Southwest Wisconsin, eight years ago. Well, wrong. Exactly the opposite happened in 2014, which would have been eight years ago, according to my uh, calculations, um, if exactly the opposite happened. We, we incorporated the, the Deer Trustee Report at that period of time where we quit, we made, took, took a more passive approach to chronic wasting disease, and we backed off on herd control and population control, um, or at least the tools like Ernebuck and, and longer seasons. And what we saw was a almost, you know, straight up, um, increase in the, uh, in, in the number of CWD positives and the prevalence. So it was exactly the opposite of what he said that we, you know, that CWD in our area, in this area of Southwest Wisconsin, um, changed quite a bit. Um, what else? That, okay. Do you contest that when they've done control, they've never, they've never effectively done anything to control? Like when they do the big shootouts and try to kill them all, that it doesn't have any impact on spread. Do I? Are there? Is that true? Have you? Do you contest that point? Well, I'm glad. I'm glad that uh, Pat's here because we can talk about this. Wisconsin gave up due to political pressure. We were controlling the disease. And part of what I'm what I'm saying is that through herd reduction, through opportunity, um, we were controlling population not just for disease control, by the way, but for also for habitat and ecosystem uh, benefits. And when we stopped doing that, having extended seasons, like the first time you came here, we were hunting deer in February. Mm-hmm. Um, 
uh, and we had Ernebuck that was effectively controlling population and actually increasing, uh, at least my bow hunter friends were saying they were seeing a lot more big bucks uh, on their feet during those periods of time, that once we abandoned that, that the control was working, and once we abandoned that, that's when the disease has taken off. Yeah. Yeah, about 2005, you started compromising backing off on stuff. 2007, backed off yet more, lost a lot of the funding from the legislature because right. there's so much political pressure. The DNR lost a lot of, the, I can't remember what the percentages were, but it was a big drop off in testing and, and the c- control. They no longer allowed them to go out and do targeted harvesting where you go into areas where you know you have CWD, pound that area pretty hard. They, they, they were showing it pretty, pretty consistently that when they targeted an area, their number of percentage of deer shot with CWD would go up compared to what the hunters were shooting. So when they, they could target it. By 2000... Well, say, that, say that again? Yeah, the targeted harvesting, DNR would go in, they call it sharpshooting, but it's basically DNR employees operating at night with spotlights over a bait pile typically. To try to thin the herd yeah, in the th- area yeah, where they, they found the disease. Right. They, they would target those areas. You know, They're smart people. They have logistical people that can look at percentages that, uh, what do you call it, the Bayesian principles of uh, statistical analysis. And they could figure out these areas that were probably the highest incident areas and target them. So when they went and shot those areas, they'd shoot a, a, a markedly, num- markedly more CWD positive than what the hunters in general were shooting during the regular season. So it was effective. What do they attribute that to, I don't understand. Just that, that they were able to go in and target just one little area. Oh, I'm yeah. with you now. Yeah, okay. rather yeah. than the hunters are more spread out over the... So, yeah, so their yeah. focused efforts were turning up, were killing right. more diseased right. animals than, than just yeah. people in general. And, and, while yeah. all, and while all that was going on, the first 10 years, 8, 10 years of our problem here, they were, you see the numbers on those graphs, they just, it kind of stayed down around 2%, 2%, 2%. Now, starting around 2011, 2009, 2009, statistically, you could look at it and see it was changing because it is a slow progressing disease. It's not like it's going to, you know, touch off right from the start. But within 10 years, though, and they started backing off, those numbers started climbing. Then they, and that's a classic wildlife disease term or um, um, problem. It starts just going up like a big, big uh, uphill climb, just foof. Right up, especially among the older bucks, yearling bucks. Even but but even the does down in areas like this, they're seeing thirty percent infection rates. You know, south of here, so it's getting worse. But you know, these these folks who thought that the first ten years because things weren't going up, that everything's fine, that we're overblowing the the um, the concern was based because we were controlling it. <laughs> right. You know, and, and as soon as you backed off. The problem started. And what I would add to that is if you go to uh, Illinois, and especially northern Illinois, northern Illinois, which is just south of southern Wisconsin, um, they have had controlled uh, uh, targeting, sharpshooting down there on a continuing basis, and they have controlled the disease down there. They've controlled their percentages. That's what Montana's doing in the breakout areas, and they're using hunters to do it too. Mm-hmm. But they're, they're going after them hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in areas where they see the disease spring up, just to, to try to like drop mm-hmm. numbers. Yeah, yeah, it's been really interesting um, because I've heard from uh, the one ranch manager out there, and and alarming, alarming numbers. And to me, out there it would be even more of a concern because it. it, it and I've never hunted in Montana, but um, 
it seems to me on the on the hierarchy of big game that white-tailed deer are kind of the bottom of the of the hierarchy. White-tailed deer, mule deer, elk, moose, um, all of which can be affected by CWD. But the uh, white-tailed deer uh, are in isolated areas, mostly in the river bottoms, at least according to the yeah, fellow yeah, I've been talking yeah. to. Yeah, well, I mean, there's... Yeah, in, in a general way, yeah. So the, in, in the in the inner montane areas, they're in the valleys. Yeah, so I, there's an opportunity there to control them. I had a long conversation with this guy about it and uh, could be, to be able to control both the number of deer because he has some of the same concerns I do, you know, damage to the ecosystem, damage to uh, to plants that are, uh, and trees and, and, and that they're trying to grow and they're trying to do good things in these river bottoms. Um uh, so, you know, those are the, those were the biggest things. I mean, there was, there are a handful of other things that, you know, the sort of the conspiracy and, uh, the, the conspiracy theories about it and the deflection that I listened to in that, um, discussion that, you know, the subject got changed pretty, um, uh, pretty quickly. And I, I, I just want to defend, uh, biologists and the people in the science. I can't think of any good reason that 99.9% of biologists in this country would be concerned about uh, CWD or would be a part of a conspiracy to to spread this. Um, or, but but what, what is the conspiracy? Well, because I think that like here, uh, if you look at the, the discussion you're referring to, and I'm not trying to take you to task, I'm just saying no, I understand. if you look at the discussion you referred to, Ted said CWD is a thing. It's a disease, right? At a time, there were people who questioned like that. It, like they questioned it's the reality, like that it's not there. Like it's, there's no the such hoax. thing called that, right? It was, it was a hoax. It's not what he said. It is a disease. Um, he feels that it's a disease. Control efforts aren't warranted and aren't practical and aren't effective. And, It'll sort it, nature will sort itself out and I'd eat it if it's infected or not. Now, if there's other people that have, that they feel there's a conspiracy at play and I've, and I know people who do, I don't know them personally, but I know it is. What do they feel the conspiracy is? The, uh, well, Ted said some of this stuff, the insurance companies, the, you know, anti-hunters, that there's all, that those are the kinds of reasons to discourage, that it discourages people from hunting. Mm. And that would, that could be a part of it. The insurance companies would be like, yeah, it's serious. We should kill all the deer. No, 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 no. They're so they don't need to cars. pay the claim. Yeah. Right, yeah. No, no. So, Cause like, they're like, man, imagine the money we'd save not needing to pay all these deer collision yeah. cases. If we could build up this disease hoax that would inspire wildlife managers to, to kill, kill all those deer. I sure. can, I can tell you this. I have spoken to the uh, our county biologists here, and that was asked to come down and receive something. And and then uh, the guy who invited me, the their regional director, said, "Hey, could you say a few words?" And I look out on this group of I don't know forty or so biologists. And they all are looking at me like, oh, here comes the CWD guy. Like, these people didn't get into wildlife biology to 
spend the biggest part of their career on chronic wasting disease. There's no motivation for them to, to do that. There was, um, you know, the idea that it's the bureaucracy doing it. Well, those folks are a part of the bureaucracy and I just, I just want to push, um, uh, I just want to push back on that. Um, and so I just will always remember that group of biologists looking at me and I said, you know, I guess the last thing you guys want to talk about today is CWD. So I'm not going to talk about it. And so we talked about some of the other, I talked about some of the other thing. Um, I do want to say though, that, uh, he and I agree on a few things. And one of them is that the under harvesting of deer can lead to an increase in chronic wasting disease. And that's absolutely the case. He talked about that a little bit. I was like, right on Ted, you got that. Um, and so I agree with that. Um, the fact that he wanted a hundred tags so that he and his family could shoot those deer. I guess I have a little suggestion for him that's maybe bringing some other people to shoot some of those deer, because quite honestly, I did that one year. I shot seven deer and thought to myself, well, I'm only going to use three of these. I'm a deer exterminator at this point. And I, uh, as you rightly said in that thing that, you know, I love and admire these animals, I think as much as anybody and I took that opportunity to then start inviting other people in uh, to hunt so that they could have that experience and um, so they could learn about the conservation of the whitetail deer, the conservation of this property. And, and that's one of the things that we've started to do. The single most valuable tool I have for chasing turkeys next to my scatter gun is the Onyx Hunt app. If I'm hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. If I'm not hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. I'm always using Onyx. I live by that stuff. I can't tell you the number of birds this app has put me on by allowing me to easily find new areas to hunt. It's invaluable. I use it all the time. Even properties I know super well. And I'm at my buddy Bubbly Doug's house. I'm using Onyx, and I've hunted this place a million times. With their compass mode, I can pinpoint exactly on the map where a gobble rang out from and then figure out the perfect spot to set up. Meaning, if I'm sitting there, let's say I'm at Bubbly Dugs, and I'm in the navel, and I hear, I'll like instinctively pull up Bubbly Dugs place on, on X, and I'll look at the topography, and I'll be like, oh, that sucker must be over in that little opening over there. Waypoints also, and the ability to share them, okay, comes in handy every spring. Whether that's revisiting old waypoints where I've been on birds before or sharing them, to buddies to help put them on birds. This app will help you find more turkeys. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you too. Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt this turkey season. Hey, I'm excited to share our newest sponsor here on the Meat Eater podcast, which is Poncho Outdoors. The reason I'm excited is I buy their shirts anyways. I don't, I don't I, listen, man, I, I rarely go into stores to buy clothes. I like to, I just buy myself online and I love their shirts. Max that I work with, Max Bard, who comes on the podcast one day. I don't know if he sent me a link to this place. I went on and bought some shirts. Dude, they make some good shirts. And they even have an option where if you're like a skinny dude, you can click like the skinny dude thing and get like a whole different cut of the shirt. It's great. Based in Austin, Texas, Poncho is committed to crafting the world's best outdoor shirts for men. They got it started out with a lightweight fishing shirt. Now they make all kinds of other lines. Western, denim, flannel, corduroy. Better fitting. Not, not all baggy, better performing because they got modern fabrics with some stretch and breathability and way comfortable. Poncho is only sold on their own website. So head over to ponchooutdoors.com 
Use code MEATEATER for a free hat or t-shirt with any purchase of a shirt. Poncho offers free shipping and returns, so you can try them out risk-free. Man, I just got a new truck. Before I even drove my new truck anywhere, I wasn't going to drive it anywhere until I put a deck system in it. That's how, that's what a believer I am in decked. I always thought they were a great deal, but now they're even better because they have redesigned their drawer system in storage cases from the ground up. It's like, I didn't know there was a problem with them. I don't know, they seem great to me. It's just an improvement on perfection. The new system, made in the USA, gives you 10 to 30% bigger drawers to fit more gear. It's lockable and secure, right? Weatherproof storage for all your gear. You build it right into your truck bed. You still have a truck bed you can put stuff on. The top deck of the new system has eight D-ring tie-downs integrated into the steel. So you have really burly anchor points to hook stuff down on your bed. So you got to slam on the brakes or take off real fast. Nothing shifts. And like I said, they're, they're, they're D-rings that lay real flat. Like you still slide stuff right across the deck. It doesn't catch on the D-rings. The D-rings are built in. The drawer system fits any truck or van on the road in the USA from the last 20 plus years. Deck is a game changer. There's no more like leaving stuff at home that you wish you had with you. The stuff I want in my truck is in my truck out of the way and secure. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. If you had to take a guess, how many people have hunted? How many people in 2021 hunted the Dern family farm? 40. Hmm. Wow. Can you believe that? That's a lot. Jeez. 40. Yeah. 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 And it's fun. I mean, part of what hunting you is. You let 40 people hunt your farm. <laughs> yeah. And can you only imagine. Generous spirit right here. Can you only imagine if that, if that attitude was uh, infectious? Yeah. I will say this about that. <laughs> of it those. Bloods. Yeah. Yeah. So of those 40, four actually, and, and I'm, I'm happy to say this. Publicly. He invited a person for every 10 acres. Yeah. Um, the uh, opportunity, opportunity, hunting opportunity is really important. But, uh, and let me say this. I have, um, I don't bow hunt as, as we've talked about before. Doug the other day told me bow hunting is for people who don't have enough to do. <laughs> <laughs> He's well, competing with him. That's like such a that's like such a farmer mentality, man. Well, and, I mean, and think like about growing it. up. It's just funny. He's like growing up when people were running. Like you know, I grew up around like a lot of small dairy operations. Like you know, and um, the farmers, man, like they like knew about hunting and understood why you want to go hunting. But just like you at that time, late eighties, early nineties, you could not find a farmer that hunted. Yeah, it's weird. Bow hunted. Bow yeah, hunted. Yeah, yeah. Or, or that the old so the guys that were like man the old guys at that time now their kids hunted with a vengeance something happened generationally but like the 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 family patriarchs okay who were coming out of like the real practical era those guys did not well around here which was similar you know small dairy farms and lots of them the Saturday before Thanksgiving is opening day of gun season. Lots and lots of gun hunters. Mm -hmm. Everybody gun hunted. And you've been here for opening yeah. day. And even in these years, it sounds like, feels like Christmas sounds like a war, I think is what you said. And, um, oh yeah, you can't count the gunshots <laughs> on opening morning. Yeah. And, uh, well, Pat wrote an article about it, like a shot a second. Oh yeah. What was that statistic, Pat? Well, back in 2000, 
11, 2010, that era, Wisconsin was killing a deer every second during, during, <laughs> during the gun season. If you were to take all the numbers, you know, most of it happened in the first two days, especially the first day. First day. But when you, I, I went and I calculated out how many hours were in a typical hunting day, how many seconds then were in, in those, all those combined nine days, then just did the multiplication thought, yeah, we're killing a deer a second. Some years we're killing oh. 1.3 deer per second. Yeah. Some years we're killing 0.7 deer per second. But and that's why I read Pat Durkin's articles, because it's that kind of information you don't get anywhere else. You know, I, I don't want to name names, but I was surprised to hear that, uh, I was surprised to hear of a regional outdoor authority finds you too divisive, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> With statistics like that, what's divisive? Right. I mean, I love that kind of stuff. Uh, um, too Pat divisive. Does, Pat does not need to accentuate the titles of his articles. He's going to tone them down a little bit. Yeah. So th- that was one of the changes that I saw over time, right? And and I remember talking with Mark Kenyon about this. Is like He's like, yeah, there's this farmer that I know lets me hunt his place, and he's just like, He's just like, talk to me for a little bit, and then I go hunting. But it seems like every year that's what it is. Um, because he doesn't, I, you know, and my says, well, he doesn't have time. It's for people who don't have enough to do. Um, and that's kind of where that all came from. When I was a kid, that you didn't, going gun hunting was the thing that we got to do the, in November because we kind of got the farm stuff done. Uh, when I was milking cows here as a, as a young man, um, my deer hunting clothes were my barn clothes with an orange zip-up hoodie over the top of it. Well, red, because I'm so old that we used to wear red, too. But um, And, boy, it was the best cover scent there ever was, smelling like a dairy cow going out there. <laughs> uh, um, and But seeing a deer was, you know, was unusual. Uh, or it was Unusual is the wrong word. But, um, you know, seeing four or five deer on opening day was like, wow, we did really well. And seeing one with an antler, I was like, holy moly. Um and so that's changed. And, but, you know, growing up deer hunting was, we would, I mean, you know, there was a dairy farm there. There was a dairy farm up there. There was a dairy farm over the here, all of these, and they all had kids and they all had to get fed. Right. I mean, so deer drives were, you know, a part of it too. By afternoon of the second day of the gun season, the woods were getting shook up. I mean, if you didn't have a gun, you had a pot and a stick to walk through the woods and drive deer out. That's, you know, it's so... So there was this sort of this group mentality of hunting and, and that certainly has changed. And the other thing is, you know, big giant bucks and the value of, of, um, perceived or real of big giant bucks are a part of it too, man. And I've been down that road, you know, I mean, you know, we were doing all of that kind of stuff and, um, it all came, came to a head when I just got tired of, um, managing people and like they're, well, that one's, you know, big enough or whatever. And I was telling you the story earlier, the night before opening day, I'd sit here on my laptop and click through, well, let's let that one go. He could use another year. And my dad would just sit back there and go, shooter. Every buck that had an antler on it, he would say was a shooter. It didn't matter if it was, well, that one's three inches, shooter. Um, <laughs> and so um, in what we're do, what I'm doing here with inviting people in, and, and I do want to uh, point this out, there's a lot of different ways that people are able to access private land. And one of them that's become pretty big around here is through leasing it. And um, I leased this farm for uh, 12 days to four guys for bow hunting because I don't, I, I don't do it. Um, and they are, or when they started five years ago, they were predominantly trophy hunters. I want, we want to come and kill a big giant buck. Now, 
they have um, all killed a big giant buck here, but they've also all learned about chronic wasting disease. They've all learned about herd control. And they come here and they have days like we're having or weekends like we're having where it's this outing for them as a family. They, it's a family, but they all live in different parts of the country. So they come here and here's the place where they come and stay. And, of course, I entertain them with my wild stories of, of whatever. But um, and, uh, and after that, literally the day after those guys leave, I have friends who are coming in and hunting. And, and, and Jack, who's the, the head of that group, is like, I, I want to get this clear. So we're paying X amount of dollars to come here and, and hunt, and we're happy to do it because they get first crack at them, right? I mean, they get to choose what days they're going to hunt. But we're leaving tomorrow, and other people are coming in. They're not paying anything. I just want to settle that in my mind. I'm like, yeah, but you know what they are doing? This is the question that I will, I, I'll ask anyone who gets the opportunity to hunt here. What is your contribution to conservation? What are you doing for conservation? Um, and uh, in some cases, that can get, you know, can get pretty complicated. But one of the, the fellows that hunts with me here now um, has volunteered for the Wisconsin Conservation Congress. Um, he's actually now the BHA R3 coordinator for the state of Wisconsin. Um, and so those are the kinds of contributions that, that he makes, and he gets the opportunity to hunt this place. And he also happens to come here and help with whatever I need, you know, help with. Um, and, uh, you know, people get invited here. It's sort of like, uh, Pat's a season ticket holder of the Green Bay Packers, but it's sort of like getting Green Bay Packer tickets, season tickets. There's this really long list. People ask every year. Obviously, I can't let everyone who um, would like to come hunt here hunt here, but I do maintain a list. And every year, a couple people, you know, get the opportunity to come here and hunt. And so I share this place. Um, with people based on their willingness to uh, make a contribution to conservation. And now we've started this idea um, called sharing the land, which um, we're pitching to landowners to have that same mentality of, well, let's share this place. um, And, and because going forward, that's the kind of thing that is going to, benefit conservation it's going to benefit the animals that are a part of it and it's going to benefit the land that it's that's happening on doug can you talk about sharing the land a bit so yeah you gotta lay you gotta lay out the details man all right well i'll, I'll lay out the details of sharing the land so um i as i said i sort of had this uh revelation epiphany whatever about how i would and having allowing people to hunt here has always been a part of of our, our tradition, but um, how you make those decisions is sort of where it came up. Um, Elder Leopold, um, about the same time he bought the, 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 the shack and the, the farm, you know, the famous thing where he wrote San County Almanac, um, started working with a group of farmers down in this area called Riley, where he and his buddies would go out there and make improvements to a property, conservation improvements to a property, and um, f- in return, they they made the they did the work of the they brought material in, uh, improved the habitat, and in return they got uh, actually exclusive access to that. Or uh, I don't mean exclusive like no one else could hunt it, but they they got permission to hunt that property. Seemed like a really good idea. 
um, eventually um, died off, one, because Leopold died, but two, a little thing called World War II was in there. And and then really in those days, access wasn't really a problem. You literally could knock on doors around here and people would allow access. Um, and so, you know, a few years ago, I started thinking about that more and how um, the experience that as I, I've had of, of, well, who how do I decide who gets to hunt here? And it, this thing came with the idea of um, what's your contribution to conservation? So we've now formed a, uh, there's a website called sharingtheland.com, and we're, uh, it's in its infancy, um, COVID kind of got in the way of, of doing some of the, uh, some of the things, but um, there's a group of people that hunt this property, and we're using this to prove the concept that we have an agreement in place, um, we want people to um, put together a conservation resume, and if you go on sharing the land, Dot com, you can find a conservation resume builder there um, where you explain who you are um, as a someone who's interested in conservation and, and hunting. The landowners, in, tu- in turn, are also filling, up, uh, filling out a thing called a cooperating land profile. And in there, they say, Here are the, here's, the, here's my place. Here are some of the things I need help with. Um, and here's what I have that I can offer in return. So it sort of takes away that door knocking thing, um, that it, or letter sending. Because honestly, I get letters and I, I look at them and they get added to the list. Um, but it, 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 it's 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 a little more cohesive that way. And right now, we're working on getting um, a number of landowners in Southwest Wisconsin. It looks like we'll have six by the end of the year. Um, we're working with some folks in Northeast Iowa who are real interested in it, um, and um, hopefully some in South Dakota. Um, and the idea is that we're we're knocking down those barriers between landowners and access seekers, and in both cases, people are sort of presenting themselves as they are. Is that big chore list you got on that chalkboard in the mudroom there? Is that the chore list for the people? That's yes, that is a part of it. Yeah. And most of that stuff is pretty straightforward. We need limbs taken off of my pine trees up there. Um, there's some just general general cleanup around here. You know, the kids help me. Your kids, <laughs> you know, they earn their keep. They came out here and helped me with the mushroom logs. But you got like timber stand improvement, yep. thinning projects. Yep, timber stand improvement, invasive species control. Um, uh, man, there's little carpentry projects if you have that kind of skills. One of my guys, Adam... Um, has come out here and done uh, masonry work on the on the barn. He's a mason by trade. He's like, well, heck, I can fix, I can tuck point those rocks, that, you know, the old foundation for you and stuff. Well, what a great thing. I mean, we're concerned about the about the barn being here another hundred years, and he's like, I can take care of that for you. And, well, and that you know that those are the kinds of things. And you know, you can walk around here. Hell, you could walk around and make a list of another ten or fifteen things. Um, the other part of it is this: I've been talking to. Um, some of the groups that offer conservation uh, training, right? So like the Aldo Leopold Foundation, the Wisconsin Woodland Owners Association, uh, UW Extension. um, And uh, one of the things is they offer these landowner days where landowners go and learn about their land and and 
invasive species control, timber stand improvement and all of that. And you go to those things and it's just all landowners and they're like, yeah, well, who do I, who do I get to do this work? And so what our plan is to do is to encourage access seekers to also go to those things and learn about conservation practices, to learn about timber stand improvement, to learn about invasive species control, um, and then be able to offer those very specific things to a landowner in exchange for the opportunity to, to access their property, not just for hunting, but for foraging and, and hell, to go out for a walk or, you know, for skiing, for camping and those sort of things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's plenty of opportunity out there to lease property or to do, uh, you know, a pay for play. But, um, and I know how that works. And even some of like the voluntary public access programs and that sort of thing, well, you know how that works. The landowner gets paid by the government to open their land up for access. Um, some of them have some habitat improvement to it, but the people who are accessing aren't doing that. They're probably paying money to, uh, or they're being paid to do habitat improvement. So then they have to get somebody to do that work and they're, they're, they're hiring somebody. So, you know, with the, with the, the pay per play thing, we know what the landowner's getting out of it and we know what the access seeker is getting out of it. But my question is, what's the land getting out of that? Mm -hmm. So let's tie all those things together. So um, the people who get invited here are one thing. People who get to continue to come back here, um, and, and it, there's, it's a, there's a relationship develops, right? There's a trust that develops. And, um, uh, and this is a way of doing, you know, of, of helping people develop that in a very specific way without as much, uh, uh, as much unknown about it. Um, you know, you know how Yah is going to come hunt this year? Yeah. Do you think that we could have him go up in the bunk area and try to find all my kids' socks? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. Put, on the, put that on the list. Put that up, I'll, 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 let me put that on the show. Because the cool find thing about Steve, having a list. Find Steve's kids' shit and mail to Steve. <laughs> the great thing about having a list like that is when you take get to take a line and put it through it. You know, that's one of the things about lists is just like, you know, crossing stuff off of the list because there's nothing worse than having a list that nothing ever gets marked off on. And so what's really cool is this past year, I invited um, a, a several, you know, a bunch of new people um, to come in and, uh, and hunt. And, and folks, I know, I, I got, I mean, I literally have a list of over 150 people who have asked for permission to hunt here. Um, and as I said, they come up. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, I, no, I keep track of it. It's, I, I, I just. Because, yeah, if you're writing them down, it doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, I just feel that um, thing. And, and you know why. I mean, people reach out to me. I try to answer people who reach out mm -hmm. to me. And it's because I reached out to a guy once 12, 13 years ago and he, he wrote me back. So that, you know, sort of carries forward. But I've been. Oh, yeah. Do you know that's how me and Doug became buddies? Uh, e email, right? He wrote me a letter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You shared yeah. that. Yeah. And he reached back out, and, and I didn't get many of them back then. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was because it was a you know so heartfelt and touching. Uh, no, I'm joking. Yeah. It was swarms um, of mail, but that was a good one. But uh, yeah, and he, you know, and we had this exchange, and then it, it, my favorite email I ever got from Steve is when I I said, uh, well, this has been really great. Cause we were like pen pals there for several months, you know, or email pals. And, um, I would answer quickly and it would take him a while to get back to me. But, um, and then I said, well, this has been great. Uh, 
if you ever want to deer hunt in southwest Wisconsin, I, I'd welcome you at the farm. And the response was, really? Question mark? When? Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> and we figured it out. I picked you up at the airport on New Year's Day in 2010. Yeah. So, I mean, really, born, you, you, you know, get some credit for this whole thing, too, sort of born from that. A year before, I'd invited Pat out because uh, he and I had been arguing. Uh, so, our, uh, you know, ours is based on this, uh, my admiration for your writing. And in, in the case of Pat, I actually really admi- always admired his articles, too. But then he got something wrong. And that's when I decided <laughs> to write to him. And I corrected him. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I said, you know, I never thought about it like that. And then we ended up getting together. So to me, it's it's interesting. I'm always interested in people who are interesting. And, and Yah is certainly one of those people. When I listen to your podcast and growing up in the period of time that I did and, and knowing what, what happened in Southeast Asia and with your people and then what you went through to get here and, and you know, just your sort of cheeriness and and uh telling your story and it was just it was wonderful and i was like i want to meet that guy and steve goes i think i could arrange that (laughs) (laughs) thank you doug yeah it was fantastic so that you know you can go on um sharing the land.com and take a look at what we're doing and understand that 2022 is our year of of you know continuing to build um landowners i would say that are, are the harder group to reach although it's been really gratifying we were hoping to you know have like you know one in ten persons who reached out to us be a landowner and it's been more like 20 to 30 percent oh no kidding yeah yeah and what's been really cool is like uh, a consulting forester that works for me uh when he got the email about inviting him out here because he happens to be a private landowner to, uh, to come to our kickoff party he called me and he said hey our uh chapter of Wisconsin Woodland Owners Associations had a couple of bad years of getting together because of COVID. Um, and we haven't really had an event. Could I invite more people from our chapter? And I'm like, yes, I just need to know if they're coming. And then the other part of it is he said, I have all kinds of clients, a number of clients, I should say, not all kinds, a number of clients who don't hunt, but who need these kinds of things done Mm -hmm. on uh, on their property. So if you're someone who's looking for access on a property, um, you know, bone up on your conservation skills, you know, learn what invasive species are and how to control them and learn about things like timber stand improvement. And, um, you know, if you learn some carpentry and around here, you could learn how to build gates that open and close on their own. To my satisfaction. <laughs> to Steve's satisfaction. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, just there's just a ton of things to do, and, and there's a lot of information out there for it, but we want to become a, a, a central uh, place for that. Doug, you're a great American. Well, that's nice of you to say. I mean that. Well, I, 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 I know you do. I know oh, it's he's blushing. Yeah. Doug blush? <laughs> Doug blush. He's a great American. <laughs> well. Great Casanovian. Doing what I can with what I've got. Not Casanova. 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 Yeah, it sounds so exotic, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so people that want, I think probably, I, I don't know. At this point, you probably don't need a bunch more dudes calling you who want to do the work. You need a, you need uh, landowners. Yep. yep. Yeah. If you got property, what's too small? I think that's really up to them. Um, 
and you know, and the you other got thing, a 40. yeah, a 40 or an 80 or something like that. You yeah. got a 40 and you want to, you know, you're not interested. You don't need the, you're not looking for like the couple thousand bucks or whatever. Mm-hmm. You got stuff you want done to the land. You look out there and you're like, son of a bitch. Look at all those weeds. Yeah. Or man, it'd be sweet if someone could go in and thin that out. Or I've always wanted to plant a whatever. The the list, it, it, landowners. It, it's so interesting to me because I've done land management consulting and contracting for so long, and I've I've worked with a lot of land new landowners. And after about their first year, the first the, the, the it seems like the most common thing they say is, "Man, owning a piece of property is a lot of work." Mm-hmm. I'm like, well. Would you like to get a little help with that? Here's yeah. how you do that. And there's plenty of that going. There's a lot of that going on out there. I mean, I, I but, can, but this gives a template for people who haven't like spent their whole life immersed in it. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Um, and uh, and you can get like if you're open to having your place hunted, you'd like to have some projects, some conservation projects done on your place or whatever. And that's the kind of human interaction relationship yep. you that is more appealing to you you can find ways to get paired up with people vetted individuals who've laid out their credentials mm-hmm. and you can have a sort of negotiated um they'll partic- they'll work on the land with your goals in mind in exchange to do a little hunting yeah Yep, and access it in any way, um, and, and whatever you agree with, and every landowner can decide how much or how little of that that they're they're willing to to do. But it's important for landowners to also be thoughtful and fair about it. You know. Mm-hmm. So thanks for letting me talk about that, but it's been my theme. You know, sharingtheland dot com. At this point, it is a dot com. Yep, not dot org. Right. SharingTheLand.com. Shoot Doug a note. Get on his get on his list. <laughs> get on his list. Yeah. yeah. Some dude that's on that list is just like, son of a bitch, I just got knocked off by Ya Yang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm telling you, this there is not there's no unionization of this. There's just that's just not the next guy who moves up. It's like completely at my whim, I will say that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but all right. Thanks a lot. Uh, thank you, Patrick Durkin. Thank you. Glad what, to be what, here. You got good articles coming up? For Meat Eater always. Good. Yeah. Tell me the next, titillate me with the next thing. <laughs> um, let's see the next one. I, I just turned in one last week on, um, on you can sell panfish in Vermont. Mm. Like you can sell panfish fillets? Yeah, you can sell panfish fillets. It was, it's on the meateater.com right now. How'd that come into play? Were there folks who wanted to make a living off that or what's is this like the it's, first uh game fit you know the first fish that you can a, sell actually? yeah it's the only state in the country that we know of i think there might be one little spot in tennessee where during the spring they can sell crappies uh-huh, crappie fillets uh-huh. but vermont it's basically um they go to bait shops bringing bringing the fish they don't want and drop off the meat and drop huh. or drop off the fish and and that's you know it's, it's been going on for Forever, basically. Oh, it's What's not a, something did, did that you, recently In the happened. article, I got to go check it out. But yeah. what uh, 
What's a pound of wild caught uh, bluegill flays? Uh, oh God, Th- these days, um, I free range, that, free I, range bluegills. I showed that in the article. That depends how big the pond is. I showed, I showed in the article that the one fish, if you can do it, if you can catch it and sell it in Vermont, the fish to do it is crappie. That one is way more expensive. That gets a lot more money than uh, than like um, so salmon good. does, basically. Mm. Do you know what last year what was funny as hell is uh, speaking of crappies and turkeys and Doug made me think of this. The kids tagged out so quick on youth season. Yeah. Remember we go up to the pond up there? Oh, yeah, yeah. And we caught a couple of crappies. And all of a sudden I hook into like, I don't even know what, dragging the boat around. Huge fish. And I'm just a tussling and fighting. The kids are all excited. You know what comes up? Snagged a big snapper by the tail. Oh, is that right? Oh. Wow. I mean, I'm like, I don't know what. It <laughs> <laughs> the last thing I my mind, I was like, that someone like threw some, yeah. you know, eighty pound flathead yeah. into Doug's pond, unbeknownst to him. Like it just didn't make any sense what this thing was. Between uh, river otters and mink, and now no, the big snapper, dude. It was so funny, man. Okay, so tell me. So the other one, yeah, the other article, Steve. I, I just got done writing about. In Vermont, from March 25th through May 25th, you're allowed to shoot northern pike and quite a few other fish, you know, they call them cull fish, with a, with a firearm. So guys will sit out in, in these flooded spawning areas. And it goes back into their history, the, the Revolutionary War period, basically. And <laughs> it's not many people doing it, but they, just, they slip in trees. Some just wade around, and you can shoot them with any gun you want. Muzzle loader, handgun. 22 caliber, 4, 460 Rigby if you want to, or Weatherby, I mean. Dude, my kid, <laughs> this would be like the thing that he found most interesting in all the planet. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, what's funny? That would satisfy like everything he's interested in. <laughs> but what's, Making thought, big splashes, <laughs> shooting, <laughs> that, shooting guns oh at the water. God, I, I got yes. into the whole thing about w- what it takes. Because they, they don't shoot the fish. They don't aim to shoot the, in the head or in the, in the vitals. They shoot off the side underneath. To so concuss it. So, so the concussion. So I got into the whole huh. thing about what, why, why sound or why vibration through water is so deadly. Uh, so I got a little bit of, in mm. that in the article too. Oh, Good, that's man. That story starts making great. But, it, but it's, like just, it. yeah. it's just, well, to mention your kid though. What's fascinating about they've been thinking now that uh, they've tried a number of times to kill the season off out in Vermont. You know, the fish and game department. The fish not, hunting season. Yeah, they don't like it. They don't. They just would like it to be done with because it's just you just shoot sends. They think it sends the wrong message. You know, you're shooting in the water and you teach everyone don't shoot in the water. Well, here you're shooting in the water. But, I, I would think the message it would send is that that you can shoot fish in the water. <laughs> like, I feel that that's the message. Yeah. Sends the wrong message. Not the sure message there. being that you can shoot fish in the water. But, but, what I found, I think, um, I, I think I may love the article with this whole point was that for, for decades, or you know, for many decades, they kept thinking, this is going to die out. You know, back when they first read about it, when I first found articles about it from the 1970s, early 80s, they're talking about the current generation, when they age out, this will go with them. They, they think it's a dying activity. Well, here we are 50 years later, and now I'm the old guys, my, people my age are the old guys doing it. But they're, what they're finding is that there's the young kids 
Take All they need to do is find yeah. out about it. Yeah, yeah. no kidding. Once if they find you out took about any kid in America <laughs> with yep. a gun and yep. said, oh, if you feel like it and you want to wander around out there with a light at night and you see a fish, go ahead and shoot it. Yeah. Then the kid, so, so what it's kid's ba- not going to go? So it's basically there. a few kids doing it, and then then they then they kind of go away for a long time. Then late in life becomes a thing like, well, my grandfather could do this, his grandfather could do it. We're going to keep doing it, and it yeah. becomes a, a a rights issue. And this one um, guy I talked to, interviewed for the article, pointed out that said, you know, in recent decades, we've had a big big movement in our country to have a constitutional right to hunt and fish in Wisconsin, a constitutional right to hunt whatever state it might be. He says, Vermont put that in their constitution in, in like 1790, whenever it was, they formed the state constitution in, hmm. in, in Vermont. There's a right to hunt and fish. It was part of their constitution. So anytime you mess with that now, you're messing with their history. And, yep. it, and it gets real contentious when they try to get rid of, rid of hmm. anything. Mm-hmm. So. Hmm. Huh. Good for them. Great story. That's great. All right, check out Durkin's articles, TheMeatEater.com. Check out Ya Yang. He'll be appearing at Gun Show and Doug's Farm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Yeah. Hey, I'm excited to share our newest sponsor here on the Meat Eater Podcast, which is Poncho Outdoors. The reason I'm excited is I buy their shirts anyways. Dude, they make some good shirts. And they even have an option where if you're like a skinny dude, you can click like the skinny dude thing. It's great. Based in Austin, Texas, Poncho is committed to crafting the world's best outdoor shirts for men. Poncho is only sold on their own website. So head over to ponchooutdoors.com, use code MEATEATER for a free hat or t-shirt with any purchase of a shirt. Poncho offers free shipping and returns, so you can try them out risk-free. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.